WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy 274. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in a South Charlotte suburb. In this episode, laptop ban update, a couple of bad passenger behavior incidents, more news, your feedback, and a new Plain Tales episode, The Ghost Fleet. So get settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on, flight 274 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast. And that was Captain Jeff, the other Captain Jeff, also known as Colonel Jeff now. And uh, thank you for, for the intro, sir. We do appreciate that. More than welcome. All right. And uh, so Colonel Jeff is, with, well, I'll tell you what, I'll introduce him in just a second. Joining me on this uh, interesting show today, many, many folks. <laughs> and let's start with a doctor, a doctor, doctor. a psychiatrist, doctor, 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 marathon doctor. runner, doctor. doctor, a strength training junkie and an IPA connoisseur. I think you missed the last the last one in the new uh, intro there. Oh. What's that? What Someone was messing with the show notes. It I says, didn't. Lo- I'm not even looking at the show notes. There's <laughs> a new one for me, but I guess that's my new uh, let me, title. Let me see again. What does it say? So, Miss uh, World 20 Miss World 2017 winner. Sorry. <laughs> now that I see the uh, well, script, uh, sorry. The show will be a great success as long as I manage to keep this microphone actually on the stand and not drop it. So, yeah. fingers crossed for that. And. <laughs> I missed the last show, but I'm happy to be back for uh, 274. Should yes, we're so happy that you're back with us, Steph. And uh, sitting right next to you in your studio is Colonel Jeff. Hello there, everybody. Just happened to be here in a nice long layover in Charlotte. Got in about noon. Nick, I've been up longer than you. I got up at 1.15 Eastern, so that's 5.15 your time or 6.15. I'm not sure which one it is now. So it's been a long day, <laughs> but I'm awake and ready to go. All right. And we've got beers, so we're good. That's we're the important set. thing. Yes, and it is. Speaking of Nick, we have Captain Nick, who's a former fighter pilot, professional photographer, commercial airline captain extraordinaire for Acme Red, joining us from across the pond. Hello, uh, hello everybody. And I really mean everybody. <laughs> I've seen so many people on the show for a very long time. And uh, if Dr. Steph is Miss World 2017, then I like her, would like to have world peace. <laughs> I will. I mean, that was my platform. No, you so. don't go there. <laughs> no, no, that's the standard. You know, what's your platform? World peace. Yeah. But that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> it is. How dare you? World W H I R L E D P E A S. World Peace. There you go. 
Oh, uh, it's great to be back on the show, Jeff. I kind of imagined that you were going to be on your own, croaking away with your bad voice. <laughs> anything and, um, anything from that. I mean, the, Exactly. The last, and all of a sudden, yeah. half the world's uh, podcasters seem to be <laughs> on this show. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> they saw that I was physically hurting, and they said, this is now the time to jump all over him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. When your voice goes and you can't stop us anymore, we're I just going to take the show on you. That's going to be amazing, I'm sure. And uh, also joining us uh, from the Atlanta area, we have... A former regional pilot, now a Mad Dog operator for Acme Air Mainline. Pilot Dana. We know him now as Captain Dana. Hey, everybody. Great to be a part of the podcast today. This is going to be a, a, a very fun evening, I believe. And uh, what was that sound? A motorcycle? I haven't yeah. been on my motorcycle in forever. It's really, been a like long what, time. Four or five days, something like that? No, about three weeks, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's just been too busy. Anyways, uh, great to be back and uh, great to be blessed with the Miss 2017, Miss World 2017 winner. It is a treat. To <laughs> You're uh, all very welcome. Colonel, Colonel Jeff, very nice to meet you. And, of course, the uh, guys over in England. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, we haven't introduced them guys yet. As well. They've been very quiet. And you're all just jealous because I get to sit next to Miss World. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Dana wow. just hinted that we have some other guests with us on today's show. Let me play some special music for them. Yeah, I didn't give it away, Jeff. This is very appropriate music for our guests also in the UK. Not, I guess not too far from uh, where Captain Nick is. You know what? That's not really appropriate. Let me do this one. Is that better? We have the hosts of the amazing podcast headquartered in the southeastern portion of the UK, the Plain Talking UK podcast. We have hosts Carlos Stebbings and Matt Smith. Greetings, Jeff. Greetings, Jeff. And uh, a big thank you from from uh, from us over here in PTUK Lounge Studio this evening. Lovely for uh, lovely for, lovely to be here as always. And I'm obviously here with my esteemed co-host, Mr. Smith. Oh, sorry. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now you. It's, it's time for you to talk. Yeah. Yes. It's one of these talky things, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And and also joining us here in the UK studios this evening, we also have the marvelous Owen here. Hey guys. Oh wait a minute. I thought it was Ian. <laughs> yeah, that's Owen. Whatever you want to call me, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'll respond to anything. Yeah. From uh, what do we call it, Harpjet uh, Airlines? Yes, yes. yes. Oh, right. so I'm cabin crew for Harpjet. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, Harpjet is a European car crash. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for the right word there. Yeah, that, I was going to say that, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's about right. That sums it up. Yeah. Well, so they, they just finished uh, recording a, a wonderful show, and uh, they were asking if we needed any help, and I thought that I was just going to be by myself, but uh, <laughs> I was wrong. And now we have the, the full contingent of uh, APG hosts, and we have your able assistance as well from the UK. So it's going to be a fun time. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, if Thank I can, you. if I can offer any uh, advice from the multicast things that we've done before, Jeff, I basically assume that there will be no control from this point on, and everything will be fine. I think. 
I've made that assumption actually several years ago. <laughs> but thank you. Appreciate the advice. All right. So uh, let's see. Oh, as we know uh, from Carlos, Matt, and Owen, uh, we know what they've been doing recently. They just recorded a show, and uh, you, if with you Captain haven't, Al. haven't ch- with Captain L, yes, uh, he's not here with us. Uh, he is uh, probably uh, snoozing because he has been flying all day long. Where did he go today? To Naples and back. Naples. Yeah, Naples yeah. And back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, busy, busy guy. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so uh, so we know what you guys have been doing recently, um, Nick. I think uh, you just returned from some kind of an event over there. What what uh, what's new with you? Uh, yeah, I, busy time. Um, I've uh, got back from a trip, and then uh, this is the bowling season for me. So uh, a lot of people think that uh, airline pilots live an exotic life. Mine is just down on the bowling green, having a quiet game of bowls and a few beers. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we were beaten in our match tonight, so not very pleased. But uh, um, yeah, there you go. It's, uh, there's plenty of other competitions we're in, so so we're good. Now, sorry to hear you didn't win the uh, match. Is it called a match? Uh, yeah, yeah, a match of uh, 21 ends. An end is when you kind of bowl up and everyone has finished bowling and you do the score. So you do that 21 times uh, on a rink, which is a section of the big square green we play on, which is beautiful flat grass. Uh, and um, there you go. That's it's really all there is to it. You just... Uh, Put up a little uh, white jack. There's a small target bowl you, or ball you aim at, and then you roll your balls up to it, and the person who is closest or the team who get the most closest shots uh, count that on the score. It's all very easy. That Great sounds fun. nothing like the uh, bowling we do over here at the Brunswick uh, Lanes right around no. the corner. No, this no. is more like the bowling that Sir Francis Drake did before he attacked the Armada. <laughs> ah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, true, true story. <laughs> yes, sure it is. Um, I should oh, do a plane turn about that. You should, um, <laughs> but not now. Let's wait okay. for another okay. time. Uh, Dana, uh, we haven't had uh, you in a while, so uh, what's been up with you? Well, I was here last week, actually. Oh, that's right. Uh, before that's that, what happens when you become an old guy. Yeah, I don't know. What, what what month is it? What day is it? What who am I? Why am I here? Uh, I'll be happy to fill you in, but <laughs> please, what have what have you been doing since the last show? Well, you know, I flew. Uh, I had a th- very nice three day trip, uh uh short overnight in I can't remember where that was, but uh, Denver was a long overnight and I had a had a very nice uh, meeting up with a, an old buddy of mine who's a a, fellow, a police officer. And so it's amazing how much uh, in common airline pilots and police officers have, actually. So uh, we, we don't want to talk at parties. Everybody wants, you know, first question out of everybody's mouth is, What's, what route do you fly? And, of course, uh, the first question of a police officer is, uh, how do you get out of a ticket? So <laughs> they, they, nobody wants to be known <laughs> at a party. I don't want to be, you know, the, 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 the pilot talk, and uh, he doesn't want to have the uh, police officer talk. So it was a very pleasant evening, had a good steak. And, um, you know, what, what us airline pilots like uh, the most is uh, an uneventful week. So it was uh, an, uneventful, an uneventful week, if I can speak properly. Well, I think one thing that uh, police officers and airline pilots have in common, or pilots in general, is that we both have big guns. All right. Uh, oh, let's move on wow. To, but a boom. Wow. Yeah. Where's <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> well, I know, like, 
Got to hear something. Speak for yourself. Mine's enormous. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. Yes, that is what she said. There's a song that goes with that. You know that. It's called Dream. (laughs) Dream, 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 dream. dream. You can all dream about having an enormous one, too. (laughs) It's It's not the size of the ship, but the motion of the ocean. Have, have I strayed into a, like a sort of an APG after dark kind yes, of thing? Right. Don't worry, Matt. We'll edit all this out. That's fine. <laughs> won't be in the show at all. Oh, Trust dear. us. He, he never edits ever. He's <laughs> <laughs> always in the show, so don't listen to it. So, Steph. We haven't yes. seen you in a while. You weren't here with us last week. What's I was here last week. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was, <laughs> was I here last week? Maybe I was gone. I was actually not here last week. That is correct. No, I had a very nice long holiday weekend down in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'll probably talk more about that a little bit on a future episode, actually. Okay. Um, but it was, it was a really nice weekend. I actually... Um, you know, lots of good food down in Charleston. So we enjoyed all of that. The weather was the same as here, pretty much just hot and humid all the time. And added bonus of getting to see my cousin compete in the college sailing national championships. She sails small little two-person sailboats that kind of look remind me of little bathtubs with sails. Um, but that was a lot of fun to watch. We stood on the uh, flight deck of the, oh, what's the name of the boat down there? USS Yorktown? Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, so it was kind of a, a fun venue to uh, watch sailing from, and I got really sunburned, and it was a great weekend. So, Colonel um, Jeff, how you doing, Jeff? Good. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. And you said you're on a layover, and uh, what is this? Yeah, like? this is my first trip in five weeks. Uh, I'm on call, so scheduling called me yesterday, and I answered the phone and go, who's this? What's crew scheduling? Because I hadn't talked to him in a month and a half. <laughs> and then they gave me this trip with a 4.08 showtime at JFK. Which yeah, but it was worth it. You got to see oh, yeah. Steph. Well, I, I saw it coming because I got to see Steph, but I go, yeah. you've been planning this all month, haven't you? <laughs> Just to give me this like, oh, dark 30 wake up call. <laughs> hey, we have a bone to pick with you, Jeff. Sir. You weren't with us in Pittsburgh for some reason. You know, I'm like Pip. But Pip is whining to sour grapes, as far as I'm concerned, because I was only 33 miles away. Oh, no. He was across the pond. But it was my son's graduation, and we had a wonderful time. And I thought about dropping by on the way home on Sunday, but I knew if I did, the anchor would go down and my wife would be livid. And after 38 years of marriage, I'm not going there. No. <laughs> okay. <Smart. laughs> Very smart man. He's a wise, um, wise, gentleman. Yes, wise, wise owl. Yes. Well, that's why it's been 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did get to see Colonel Jeff here, what, like a month ago? Yeah, in, in Philly. In Philadelphia. Yeah. So well, long right, time no see from us, too. Yeah. A little bit sunnier kind of this time. It was raining last time we met up in, uh, for the Broad Street run. Was that when you were doing well, one of the, uh, I drank. mountain climbs or something <laughs> that we were doing uh, stuff? Well, Broad Street is flat. Flat. <laughs> oh, but. Okay. Yeah, 10 miles of running. So Yeah, because I always say that she's a mountain climber. So that's the, the next one I'm doing is in Atlanta, believe it or not, on oh. July 4th. I have a famous 10-mile oh. race Yeah, that's there. the big peach tree uh, race. Yep. Nice. And she'll have toenails afterwards. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, I see no. meetup written all over that one. Yeah. Okay. How, are, how, are the, uh, how are the toes, Steph? Um, mostly good. One has a little bruise, <laughs> but they're, they're all there. 
So we're good. Well, hey, I'll speaking it. speaking yeah, of right. meetups, I'm sorry to uh, talk over everybody, but shut up. It's my show. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Since when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quite right. Um, you tell them, Jeff. I, was, I picked up a two-day trip uh, just a couple days ago, and I was in uh, New York City uh, just, uh, what, Wednesday night, I believe, and I met up with Dave Abbey, one of the uh, APG community members, and we went out to a place called, uh, of all, uh, it's a very strange name, Jackson Hole. Uh, you know, we're in New York, remember, not Wyoming, uh, and it was some kind of a diner, a Jackson Hole Aviation Diner, or whatever. We had great uh, hamburger, and then afterwards, uh, Dave uh, took me along the East River, and we uh, did some sightseeing. Learned a lot about the uh, uh, the Hell's Gate Bridge and um, the Triborough Bridge, which is called something else now, but. Uh, he, uh, he took a little video, and uh, we can listen to a little bit of that if you'd like. Oh, wow, um, yeah. Play that a little bit here, and I'm just going to do the, uh, I'm just going to do the uh, audio. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Never mind. I didn't have it set up. Sorry. So I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, but uh, David and I had a great time. And... Speaking of meetups in New York City, I'm going to see David again on Monday night because there is somebody else coming in from the UK, and uh, we're uh, going to have a, a little bit larger group of folks meeting us in New York. Uh, so, Captain Nick, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jeff. Okay, well, let's <laughs> move on. <laughs> I, I'm flying to New York, and uh, apparently I'm going to be ambushed by yourself. <laughs> Uh, at the airport, you're coming uh, with us in the crew transport uh, to uh, Manhattan. Uh, we're going to, uh, uh, at least I'm going to go to my room and get changed. I don't know if you're going to uh, borrow my room or uh, go and find your own. Um, anyway, we're going to turn out at around 5 o'clock in the afternoon New York time uh, to uh, go find somewhere decent to eat and drink and meet lots of people. It'll be great fun. All right. Any, what was any that idea where we're going? I'm not sure exactly what that was, but uh, thank you very much <laughs> for that. Uh, any yeah, idea so, where we're going? <laughs> we, we're, we don't know where we're going yet, do we? No, we don't. All right, uh, someone somewhere near your hotel uh, in the, what, uh, south... Um, what is that area called? The theater district? It's around the corner from Penn Station. Um, yeah, it is. Basically opposite Penn Station. Yeah. Yeah. Down in that area somewhere. I'm sure we'll be able to find something down there where we can uh, sure we drink will. some beer and eat some good food. So if you're in the New York City area uh, or the surrounding area and you want to uh, meet up with some great uh, av geeks, uh, put it on your calendar. That's just uh, I think this uh, Monday Colonel night. Jeff is also flying in from the UK. Yeah. So. Colonel Jeff, I'm flying in from the UK. Yeah. Via the are train you? in the Penn Station. <laughs> From the UK. Really? Are you going to be there yeah, too, no. Colonel Jeff? Yes, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm Good coming in. Oh, that'll be fabulous. Excellent. Uh, so uh, I know Dave Abbey is going to be there. I think Hillel is going to fly in um, or train in, I guess. Um, I'll fly in. Uh, Captain Nick's flying in. Uh, Colonel Jeff will be there. We're going to have a grand time. There are several other people that have uh, stated that they're going to try to make it. So, mm -hmm. again, if you're hearing this show, um, hopefully it'll be out before Monday night. It will be. And uh, join us, please. And uh, 
You can also check us out on Slack. And if you haven't done so, Hillel will tell you how to join us on the perpetual chat room at the end of today's show. I love it when my voice does that. I feel like I'm going through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm talking like this and all of a sudden, yeah, nobody noticed it. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Here it's doing it again. Is there something you want to say, Colonel Jeff? I'm waiting for you to sing the coffee fund. Oh, I'm not going to try to say it. It's going to be a mess. Uh, No, it is. It's going to be Barry White does the coffee fund. (laughs) (laughs) Or Vanessa Williams, which one? (laughs) I love coffee, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hot coffee. Hot black coffee. Yeah, okay. no, this is def- this is definitely an APG after dark. There's no two questions yes. of that. Yes, it is. <laughs> hey, um, one more possible uh, potential meetup to mention on Wednesday of next week. I'll be leaving on a four day trip and I'm actually going to head way out to the West Coast on um, the second day of the trip. Going to have a layover in San Jose. Going to be meeting up with Tim Cook. Uh, at the new uh, uh, Apple building, and uh, we have a private meeting because I have some uh, things to talk to him about, uh, you know, via the some iPhone. Some minor tech questions? Yeah, some some tech questions yeah. and stuff like that. So I've arranged that here. Like what the, the new iPhone's going to look like? The airline pilot guy <laughs> here is coming out. Ah, <laughs> uh, the iPhone 7. Yeah. He's going uh, to get the app ready. <laughs> since I'm going to be there anyway, I thought maybe if you're listening to this and you live out in the uh, Bay Area... <coughs> Oh, boy. Excuse me. I have. I don't have a cough switch. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry. You're right. Yeah, I'm fine. It doesn't up. sound like it. Um, if you're out in the Bay Area and you'd like to uh, get together with some uh, APG folks, uh, let's do that on Thursday. I get in about uh, about noon on Thursday. And uh, so I'll plan on you know setting um some sort of a venue um, late afternoon, uh, very early evening. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun to see uh, some of you guys and gals out there. Uh, we did the meetup, uh, what was it, two or three years ago, I believe. Uh, several of the folks that listened to the show uh, met up with us. I think it was like the largest meetup that we had had so far, about a dozen people. So if you're listening to me, if you still <laughs> if you still subscribe to the show and are listening to my voice right now, um, it would be great to see you out there in Northern California. So, Fred Sampson, hey, let's maybe I should call him and we could go flying or something. But um, anyway, um, so that's that. I'll uh, put uh, some information about that on Facebook, Twitter, and Slack. All right, and I've been looking for bars near where we're going to meet up in. Uh have you found something? Yeah, Beer Authority. Ooh, that is good. That's that's uh, three hundred West Fortieth Street. Uh, so it's not going to be far from your hotel. Okay. And it says uh, craft beer movement has been. Oh, it's going to have craft beers, like a pantheon of pints. It says, Behays comprised of a, as in Beer Authority, <laughs> a growler slinging Irish pub-like ground floor, a forthcoming oh, rooftop, and between them what feels like the tasting room of a mod brewery. <laughs> it's brilliant. Wow. Wow. O- Owen, you should go there immediately and, and speak Irish. Yeah, I should. <laughs> uh, hope, hopefully in a while. <laughs> And thank you very much for our, uh, our our very spirited uh discussion in the chat room they're talking about <laughs> me they've called me uh now Captain Flem appreciate it. Aww. Aww. 
That's not Just nice. go ahead and hit me while I'm down, why don't you? <laughs> All right. You know, you know, the guy that I really miss, who was that guy that used to give you such a bad time, Captain Nick? Uh, I, I, it's been so long. But it <laughs> with, uh, I really miss him. R. Yeah. <laughs> Captain R. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, a pirate, huh? now it's time for me to try to do the coffee fund. So let's, let's give this a go. Oh, now, I, I should warn you, uh, everybody that's on this Hangout, there is a huge amount of latency. So if you sing, it's going yeah. to be horrible. But yeah. it's going to sound horrible with me just singing as I, well. So. I, I, think, I think we should leave you to just do it, Jeff. I think well, it's going to be very special. Well, let's see. Well, <laughs> let's, let's see what happens. Special is awkward. <clears throat> Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee, I love tea. Oh, baby, I love the Java Jive. Don't you? Do you love me? I love you. I love the APG community, too. <laughs> so, the reason why we're playing the Java Jive, by the way, uh, the last couple of shows I played this, they have not tagged me for a copyright violation, so maybe they just gave up. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, I'm very happy about that. Um, anyway, uh, that is the Ink Spots singing the Java Jive, recorded in 1940, public domain. And since the last show, oh, by the way, the Coffee Fund is your way to uh, support the show in a financial way. And since the last show, we've had Robert Coble, Ian Griffin, Eric Ryback, and Jordan Rose. They all contributed via the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And also, we have a, another way to support the show, uh, the Coffee Fund, and that is via Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last show, we have a couple new patrons via Patreon. Uh, we have a new executive producer, Nick Herring, and we have a new producer, Michael Coe. If you want to find out more about how you can participate in the Coffee Fund Cadre, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. I'm so sorry about this terrible singing. I hear some humming in the background, though. The chorus, I love it. Thank you. Okay, everybody, let's just go ahead and do it. Let's sing. Whoops, Whoops I told you there was going to be a mess. There's, there's no way I can fix that. No way I can fix that. Just leave it. It's going to be great. Yes. You asked for it. I did. I did. My fault. All right. Let's move on. It's now time for the news. Stand by for
Okay, we're going to start off with uh, something that happened. I meant to talk about this on the last show, and apparently I missed the uh, the news item. Uh, you'll remember uh, we went, several of us went to Wings Over Pittsburgh, and during the show or during the days of the air shows, Saturday and Sunday, uh, they had temporary flight restrictions in place, and uh, many of you remember seeing some of the uh, notums and notices that went out to various airlines that operate in and out of Pittsburgh International regarding the fact that they had to kind of plan for uh, the fact that there are going to be times at the air show where the uh, entire airspace was going to be used and airline operations were not going to be allowed. Apparently, uh, one airline uh, didn't get the memo or somebody missed it. Uh, there was a Southwest Airlines flight that uh, was coming in from Orlando and uh, they were coming into Pittsburgh on Sunday and they arrived when one of the demonstration teams were performing and so they held for a while and then they uh, decided that they had to divert to Allegheny County which is a very it's a what would you call it a general aviation uh, kind of a field not a not a huge runway yeah I don't think they have a whole lot of commercial traffic there like none but yeah, at all I'd say none probably yeah. none yeah um, so without saying anything, by the way, um, uh, you know, you our good friend and air show, uh, organizer, uh, captain Rick bell, um, was up in the, uh, what do they call that air boss stand and with him, uh, with the announcer, uh, was, uh, some representatives of the air traffic control, um, complex there at Pittsburgh, uh, specifically for instances where somebody might come in and say, you know what, we are, you know, there's an urgent situation we need to land or whatever. And uh, they never got a notification at all that uh, uh, that there was an airplane out there that needed to land. And uh, they just decided to go ahead and probably because they didn't want to be embarrassed, I, I'm guessing, they decided to go ahead and uh, head over to Allegheny County. They dropped the passengers there. Then they put them on buses. Some of them went ahead and just, you know, found their own transportation from Allegheny County, which was uh, which is south of the, the city of Pittsburgh. Um, but uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and I think that uh, our dispatcher friends would find that uh, interesting as well. In fact, I think one of them actually sent this this article to me. Um and uh, they couldn't take off from Allegheny County uh, with passengers on board. Again, I think it has something to do with the classification of the airport um, that they're not allowed to take off from the uh, from the airport with passengers. So uh, uh, that was a little bit embarrassing, I think, for this particular airline and air crew. And I think they did provide pizza and buses so they could get everyone back to Pittsburgh. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they did. They did. That was the least they could do, I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so so that's always an interesting one, uh, Jeff, because uh, whenever we as an international flight uh, have to land 
uh, at, not at our destination in America, uh, a lot of the passengers will want to get off. Um, and this is probably the very reason they kind of used to perhaps uh, being able to just fly a local flight and get off and get on a bus or, or just go home from wherever they are. Forgetting, of course, that international flight, you've got to find customs. Uh, uh, it's not necessarily uh, a port of entry. Uh, so many other complications. And it's real hard jobs trying to explain to passengers sometimes why they can't just get off the airplane and leave. Yeah, that would be a, a much more complicated situation if you uh, that was your port of entry. That would be a big mess. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, just thought I'd mention that briefly. Um Speaking of um, international flights, long haul flights, um, and I think you mentioned this on the last show, Captain Nick, that you uh, were uh, interviewed by somebody from Condé Nast, and uh, we actually have the article um, published now, and uh, it's uh, it was a, a great article. I think she did a nice job on uh, on this. Yeah, to be fair, you dropped me in it by saying, uh, no, 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 Captain Nick, he's the man for you. <laughs> well, see, I thought she was actually, actually asking, like, what are you guys really doing up there? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to tell her we're watching movies and reading newspapers and all that stuff that we're not supposed to do. Because, crossword. Of course, I don't, we don't do that. Yeah. But I'm sure that that's what she'd be trying to get out of me. And I'm thinking, you know what? I am weak and I, I would probably break. So, take it away, Nick. Oh, well, she, she, uh, we had a nice long chat, uh, and uh, I managed to make up some suitable uh, comments on what, what you actually did. But uh, she flowered up the language somewhat. I think there's plenty of adjectives in this piece that I don't think I have, have ever used in my life. But, uh, yeah, we tried to describe the... <laughs> The little-known fact that we actually do some work in the cruise, and I'm yes. sure Colonel Jeff will keep up with me on this one and support me. So uh, we'll we'll talk about you know the problems of uh, long-haul travel and uh, getting across all the various um, weather systems, uh, all the problems of uh, speaking to various uh, traffic agencies. Um, looking after all your passengers, uh, you know, where the authority of the captain stands and uh, his responsibility to uh, the people on board and his crew, as well as uh, looking after the aircraft uh, and all the systems. Uh, something that short haul guys probably aren't used to is, you know, being able long enough that your fuel can freeze, various uh, problems like that. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting chat, and uh, I think she made a reasonable fist of the article. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good uh, read. Yeah, I think she's, uh, we'll put that uh, yeah, link to the article in the show notes so everybody can read it. Um, and, you know, I used to do long haul as well, but it's been, been such a you know long time since I've done it. I thought it would be best to uh, have somebody represent the show uh, that is currently doing that kind of stuff. So I think that uh, you were an excellent representative of our show. I was just so disappointed you. that she didn't mention the show once. I mean, <laughs> I made a point yeah. of talking about it. Ah, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, Actually, Nick, Nick, I was going to ask you, when you're doing your long haul, you know, trips and stuff to Lagos or somewhere like that, do you actually, uh, when you go to your the crew rest area, do you, do you sort of get a good quality sleep or is it kind of just a, you know, 
Well, Lagos is probably a, is too short a flight to ever even think about that. You'd have to have a flight of uh, over like ten or twelve hours to really justify it. But yeah, if uh, if I got if I get uh, two or three hours break uh, and get into the crew rest, you bet I sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, it's uh, we we uh, catnap in our seats and i uh, that's a perfectly legal procedure as long as we follow the rules and uh, so yeah when when you end up a really long working day and you're struggling to stay awake uh then the ideal thing is just to uh, uh make sure everyone's aware of what's going on and uh, then have a short uh, 20 minute power nap in your seat so that you can uh, then work well for the rest of the trip so that's a legal and perfectly well uh, it really depends on the individual, Nick. A lot of guys like me, I get back there and I go right to sleep, whether it's a, an hour and a half or three <laughs> hours back there in the crew seat when I was doing it. But some guys go back there and they're wide awake. They watch movies and stuff. So it depends yeah. on the individual a lot of times. And how is the uh, the time split? So how, if, say, for example, you do a 12-hour flight. How many hours of that would you be uh, in crew rest and how many hours would the relief pilots get? Well, it depends on how many relief pilots you've got. If you've got a, a single relief pilot, he's going to have to uh, stay at the controls while both the other pilots have a break one after the other. Right. So you might get um, three, three and a half hours, say, uh, break, and that means he's at the controls for seven hours solid, wow. uh, which is quite hard for him. But uh, um, if you've got a, a full... A two-pilot crew to replace you, then you can get six hours uh, in you know in the bunk, which is you know that's as good as a night's sleep. It's quite nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Micah says in the chat room, uh, I thought it was funny how Nick lied through the whole thing and didn't tell everyone how pilots just set the aircraft to autopilot and just sleep the whole way. Well, it's a good thing she did the podcast. Then she would everybody would know the truth by listening to the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Good point. nobody's going to listen to the podcast. That's a whole other show. <laughs> the next article will be about chemtrails. Another lie. Anyway, so uh, really nice job, and we'll put that. I uh, just wanted to make a note of that. Uh, you know, I know you talked about it in the last show, but uh, we now actually have the. That was pretty quick, actually, uh, already um, published. I'm surprised that that uh, occurred so quickly. It was, and uh, my uh, my prowess in preparing magazines is going to shortly uh, be expanded by an article uh, I learned about flying from that in the pilot UK pilot magazine. So anyone who gets that magazine, uh, it'll be in the next issue. Excellent. All right. Uh, this, you know, we we've heard some. Um, rumors in the news of late about uh, the potential for expanding the ban on laptops uh, at least here in the u.s and uh, i received some communication from the union that represents our pilot group and i just thought it would be nice to kind of uh, read what they had their take on this whole thing they said there's been a significant amount of speculation and discussion in the media recently concerning the potential for an expansion of the current laptop ban by the Department of Homeland Security. And yesterday, GHS issued a statement that expanded the laptop ban uh, as an option that's still on the table. 
ALPA has engaged extensively with the leadership of the Transportation Security Administration, the FAA, and industry partners. DHS has a unique view of the threats facing aviation, and ALPA believes that the consideration of an expanded laptop ban is being done with the best security interests of the flying public in mind. ALPA's engagement on this issue has uh, focused in part on ensuring that all parties understand the potential for an in-flight fire due to storing laptops and other devices powered by lithium uh, batteries in an inaccessible cargo hold of a passenger aircraft. As an example uh, of the potential for just such an in-flight problem was once again demonstrated yesterday, and this was a few days ago, on JetBlue Flight 915 from JFK to San Francisco, which diverted to Grand Rapids in Michigan after a lithium battery from a passenger's laptop caught fire. The cabin crew successfully isolated the laptop and extinguished the fire, measures that would not have been available had the laptop been stowed in a cargo hold. The safest long-term solution to this problem is to identify a path forward using technology and procedures to enable the detection of all improvised explosive devices that may be concealed in carry-on and checked luggage. These measures must be employed as soon as possible to limit the economic damage to our industry and minimize the inconvenience to our passengers. We look forward to working with DHS and other safety and security agencies to develop and deploy improved screening technology. So that's the uh, official stance of the uh, Airline Pilots Association, again, representing I think the majority of uh, major airlines uh, here in the United States. And uh, so that's the uh, the predicament here is that we have this, uh, on one hand, a uh, terrorist threat where uh, apparently there's some um, information that uh, has been gleaned that uh, groups have been working to try to assemble some kind of an IED from uh, different or many different uh, personal electronic devices, uh, kind of all brought on board an airplane. And then once the uh, flight is in the air, assembled together to form an explosive device. And on the other hand, the fact that uh, we don't want to have devices with lithium ion batteries in cargo holds because we know that that can be a very dangerous thing. So what uh, what do you all think about this? Between the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. It, it's tough. Uh, I would personally uh, um, rather we didn't carry them in the hull because I think the likelihood of having a significant problem is probably greater than uh, the security threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the danger is almost as bad. Um, but uh, I think Alpha's quite right. Uh, the detection uh, of IEDs uh, within electronic devices, uh, we need to improve that as soon as possible so that we can uh, get away from this dilemma that we face. So I have a question. So there's definitely been, so, especially the Middle East carriers that were kind of affected by this initially, they were collecting them and putting them in the hold all together. You know, it just seems like it'd just be just as easy to collect all the laptops, keep them somewhere not in the hold, but away from passengers so that the passengers can't actually use them for nefarious, you know, um, purposes. Mm -hmm. That sounds reasonable. But you have to look at it this way. Look at what happened to JetBlue, where they have this lithium ion battery going in the runaway. Mm -hmm. They know what's happening. They can deal with this one battery. If that happens with a whole, you have them, say you have them up in the cabinet in a box. If one of them run away, 
runs away, it's contagious. It goes to all of them. That's like, you know, you talk about Miami Rick, his biggest fear is the big pallets of lithium batteries he's carrying. So now you have them down on a hold. And if one of them overheats, they're all going to overheat. If one of them is in the cabin and they're all together, if one of them overheats, they're all going to overheat. Keeping them separate is probably safer. I agree with Nick. We got to have some way of detecting this uh, sooner rather than later, like yesterday, to, uh, you know, take care of the threat. Right. Yeah, and and by putting it down in the cargo hold, you know, you, you alluded to if you have one run away, you can have them all run away. Well, there's a lot more flammable items in the cargo hold with with no control over it whatsoever. So I absolutely agree that uh, the best uh, prevention would certainly be some type of a scanning device. And and you know, to your question, uh, Doctor Steph, I don't know that there's anywhere in the cabin that you really could secure uh, the right. Um, laptops and whatever you know other electronic devices they're pulling um and and be able to keep them away from somebody if if they want to have uh you know bad means you know if they want to blow, blow up an airplane using well, i suppose using the ideal laptop. spot is the least risk bomb location yeah yeah, yeah. true yeah so and you could use like a galley cart to put them all in you know that they're big metal boxes but then it would have to be locked but still you're looking at a thermal runaway and uh, I know in our training, we actually watch a video of one uh, of a laptop going into thermal runaway in LAX. And it's I mean, it's literally dancing around the concourse, just flip flopping all over the place. It's dancing all over people getting out of the way and it's throwing sparks and it's on fire. And, you know, yeah, I think I think we, we, we uh, use the same video and it is really quite dramatic. Yeah, I think we need to go back to Abacus's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. You really have to do Isn't all that, that work on the airplane. You can't just, you know, turn off work or social life for a couple hours a day. If you're flying a bin liner, you just put them with the batteries for the airplane. It's going to blow anyway, so what the heck? Oh, boy. So, hey, how's everybody over there? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in uh, the Plain Talking UK uh, luxury studios, we got we got snacks. Yeah, we have oh, snacks. We got oh, snacks. was that why you turned off your yeah. video? Yeah, well, just briefly, <laughs> we, we were we were eating snacks. I'm sorry. I see. Okay, so I thought they were having some kind of a technical problem. Uh, uh, well, we were initially, but we tried to cover it with snacks. Okay. I see. Okay. Well, everybody, well, now grab really your snacks. Good for- Good for podcasting snacks here of pecans and blue. Noise. Chips. We have noisy snacks, chips yeah. and nuts. Uh, yeah, we nice. do too. Yeah, we yeah. do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Next time, marshmallows, please. <laughs> I don't like marshmallows. I actually, I do have marshmallows. Have marshmallows. What's that? That's no good to us here in the PTUK studio. I'm really sorry. <laughs> and you could uh, roast your marshmallows over your laptop. Yeah, that is, that is true. That is true. <laughs> or you could roast your nuts. Yeah, that Either is way. true as well. Uh, there we were. We had to go uh, down uh, that road. Yeah, and there we are suddenly back in the OPG after dark. Great. Well, music. speaking of bad boys. Carlos, you have music then, don't you? Oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> bad boys, what you want, what you want. Well, we've had some bad behavior, and it's not the TSA. This uh, involves some passengers, and the first one involves this dude that uh, decided that uh, he wanted to break 
through a an airport gate and onto the tarmac. Now, luckily, uh, this was up in Baltimore, I think. Uh, they uh, it wasn't the commercial end of the operations at the uh, Baltimore Washington International Airport. Uh, it was over on near the um, private commercial aviation, the uh, uh, the signature aviation, I believe where he broke through an airport gate with his vehicle and uh, got himself on board a private jet. Um, yeah. And uh, he um, apparently, now I'm reading uh, between the lines here on the, in this article, I believe he used to be a U.S. air marshal, at least. What? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that doesn't give you a really good. Well, I don't know if he was an air marshal, but he was a U.S. deputy U.S. marshal. Right. And that's yeah. what yeah. air marshals are, are, are yeah. you know. not excusable. So. Yeah. Um, I think that this is a person that uh, probably didn't have all his wits about him. Um, let's see. He did enter an unoccupied aircraft. The MDTA police spokesman Kevin Aid tells the Sun, the aircraft and the backpack were checked and there was nothing that was alarming. Uh, the backpack only contained papers and personal effects. And the FBI determined that this was not terrorism related. Uh, but uh, again, uh, there was uh, uh, some information regarding the fact that uh, he at least used to be some kind of a, a deputy U.S. Air Marshal. Actually, won Officer of the Month award as a, uh, uh, an air marshal. Not this month. <laughs> not this month. Right? <laughs> they took him down. His plaque is gone forever. It's We're going to need that back. It's only Officer of the Day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Newsmere at the officer of the day. <laughs> now, this one is a little bit more concerning uh, to me, and I, I believe probably to everyone. Let's start off with a little bit of audio uh, from this. Combination one twenty eight. One twenty eight approach. We have a passenger claiming to have an explosive device tried to enter the cockpit. Has been uh, overpowered by passengers. However, we'd like to land and have the device checked out. Mage 128, understood. Mage 128, turn right, heading 090. Alright, heading 090, what do you say? Mage 128, say again your last comment about uh, meeting on arrival. Security to meet us on arrival to apprehend the passenger. Mage 128. Mage 128, vectors to position for the ILS runway 16. You turn to intercept in 30 seconds. Mage 128, to confirm the cockpit is sterile. You have control. Yes, sir, we have control. Mage 128, thanks. Position two miles right of the localizer. Turn right, heading 130 to intercept. Right, heading 130 to Okay, that's uh, all I'm going to play of that little clip, but uh, it was just interesting to hear how um, calm, cool, and collected uh, the pilot on the uh, radio uh, sounded, at least. Um, it was an, a, Malay a Malaysia Airlines flight, an Airbus A330-300, uh, performing a flight 128 from Melbourne. 
um, Australia to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. They were climbing out after departing runway 16 when the crew stopped the climb at 6,500 feet, reporting a passenger had attempted to intrude into the cockpit. The attempt was averted, however. The crew decided to return to Melbourne and subsequently reported the passenger, claiming to have a, an explosive with him, had been overpowered by other passengers. The situation was under control. Um, and then in the statement after this occurred, about three hours after it landed, uh, Malaysia Airlines said that they would like to stress that at no point was the aircraft hijacked. The passenger was apprehended by security forces. And uh, on June 1st, uh, yesterday, Australia's police reported that 25-year-old male, a Sri Lankan citizen, had been released from a psychiatric facility hours before boarding the flight. They uh, are no longer handling this as a case of possible terrorism, but as an issue of mental health. I mean, I have to ask the question. Um, I mean, who's the one that signed his release forms? Well, so here's the thing. You know, he. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking in general, even here in the U.S. or in Europe, if someone's released from a, you know, psychiatric facility, a mental mental health facility, um, and they have an airline ticket booked later in the day, no one at the airport is going to know that necessarily. Right. So, yeah, and it may not be a reason for concern in. 99 out of 100, 99,000 out of, you know, however many cases um, just happened to be this one. Very good point. I, I'd just like to congratulate uh, Malaysian Airways. Now, they've been an uh, airline we have linked up with at times. And I know uh, our company um, guys went across and looked at their operation and were very impressed with them. And uh, I've flown as a passenger with them and uh, impressed. So um, this is one airline uh, out of uh, a few that are, can be a bit dubious over in that part of the world. But Malaysian obviously handled this very well. They obviously uh, had uh, good security on board the aircraft. So, uh, you know, I think it's a great ex um, example of uh, how these sort of things should be handled. But as Jeff said, I mean, one of the things that, that blows your mind is just how damn calm the pilot is in all of this. I mean, he, there's no sort of alarm in his voice at all as he's talking to ATC. He's just completely calm and collected. I mean, that 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 must be, I don't know. I mean, we, I suppose we'd all like to think we'd react that way in that situation. But, you know, I, I mean, he just seemed so chilled. Yeah, he did. Uh, I was very impressed with th with that. You know, it's interesting. Um, I had my first major passenger misconduct uh, back in March. I had nine people screaming at each other. And uh, actually, I was going into Atlanta over a spilled cup of coffee. And uh, I didn't declare an emergency, but I did request priority handing with Atlanta Center uh, going into Atlanta. And it was interesting because just like they did in this case, the first thing the controllers asked me is, is the cockpit secure? Right. Uh, so they're, you know, just like in Australia in this incident, uh, you know, the U.S. authorities take this extremely seriously. Mm. And I mean, every time I switch frequencies, the controllers, the first thing they ask me when I checked in is the cockpit secure. So, I mean, it's a big deal. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I had to have the cops come on board and everything, but it it's, you know, we had to be very careful how we handle these events and, um you know, you're talking about how calm, cool, and collected this guy sounds. Well, it's part of our training is one thing mm. is to, um, you know, stay that way. Don't let things get out of hand. Um, and it doesn't help. You can't do anything about it. You're locked behind a door. Um, so, uh, 
I hope I sounded as calm, cool, and collected as that guy did. So we'll have to find the yeah. tape. The, the, guys that are probably, uh, the guys that are probably panicking are the crew down the back. They're yes. having to fight yeah. with these uh, people. So uh, they're the ones that get all, all kind of upset. We're, we're sitting there nicely locked in. and uh, Yeah, I had a bunch of really pissed off flight attendants, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, was the, was it really good coffee? I mean, was it worth the uh, the fight? I guess it was. I mean, it was uh, the, uh, and I, I had briefed the flight attendants that, you know, to tell the passengers, that, you know, if we have to divert, they're going to get off wearing extra jewelry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and good thing is that the flight attendants told these people that, and it actually got them calmed down. And we, the only reason I did not divert in this incident was because, uh, only had like a hundred people in the airplanes. We had room to move them away from each other. If we'd been a full flight, I'd have been in Nashville, wow. and they'd, 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 they would have gotten off in, cu- in cuffs. Yeah. Well, there was an uh, incident. Like- Go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just going to say we we talked about this on our show, weren't we? Earlier? Yeah. That you know, I'd, I'd like to think that in a situation like that, you know, if if my family are traveling on an aircraft and there there is someone like this who's unstable or whatever situation is in that if I felt that I could and had the chance to, I, I would definitely, you know, attempt to take that person down, you know, and, and assist the, the crew and stuff. That, yeah, see, that's I, my I'm, personal view. I mean, as, as, a, as someone who doesn't fly, who isn't cabin crew or anything like that, I, I, just a, a, a run-of-the-mill ordinary member of the public, I, I genuinely think I would struggle to know I, I genuinely wouldn't know what to do for the best. I, I, I'm probably in that situation where I'm best to just sit there and let hopefully other people around me who hopefully know what they're doing deal with it. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, having never been a pilot or anything like that, I literally don't know. I don't know what to do for the best. There was an incident, I think it was in 2002. It wasn't that long after 9-11 where a guy on a Southwest flight got was out of control and the passengers killed him, literally what? killed him on the airplane before they got on the ground. They suffered oh, wow. because they were trying to restrain oh. him, so they had just piled on top of him. Yeah, I so, think he had, I mean, he had he was under the influence of some kind of uh, drug. Yeah. I think, yeah. So that was a you know, then there was the other incident where the guy ran off the airplane screaming they had a bomb, and the air marshal shot him on the jet bridge. Yikes! You know, wow. and his mother's next to him screaming, "No, no, he forgot his medication." Well, the air marshal doesn't know that, so. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose yeah. it goes from one extreme to the other, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. I mean it, we're not playing games. We're not taking anything for granted. No. And, uh, you know, my first thought when I hear about a passenger misconduct, am I being trying to be distracted by something else? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You always have to yeah. be aware of that. Yeah, um, you've got to be aware of the bigger issue that you're, well, flight crew and, uh, and cab crew, we're responsible for a couple of hundred people's lives when we, when mm-hmm. we fly. And any yes. actions that we take have to be the most uh, preventative that we can make it uh, to save, well, to, to pre- preserve life. Exactly. It's interesting to point out, Matt, that we are not allowed, and the crew, cabin crew, are not allowed to ask passengers to intervene. Right. But they would probably be very grateful yeah. if you yeah. saw an opportunity and took it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see, yeah, I see. I see in mean. the States, it's a little bit different, Nick. Our, our flight attendants are actually trained to seek out what, um, what they call able-bodied passengers. Um, and they sometimes they confront them if they see something that might cause a problem. Uh, other times they just identify them amongst themselves. 
But um, I mean, I mean, I mean, the thing is, is what I'm, what I'm saying from a, from a, like a like a, a a Joe Bloggs point of view, if the cabin crew or someone gave me an instruction and asked me, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a large gentleman. I mean, if they asked me to sit on him and restrain him, I'd hey, be I'm more than happy to do that. You know, I mean, it's just. Uh... <laughs> I think Dana took offence. I think he thinks he's bigger. <laughs> yeah, I'm, bigger. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm so sorry, uh, <laughs> but I'm no, certainly not a gentleman. <laughs> Uh, well played um yeah (laughs) but this is one of the things it's like i mean i'd like to think as i say i mean i think if i was given instructions then i I, you know i would obviously comply and do do as was asked but it's just it's like if this incident is is kicking off you you're sort of thinking well i don't know should i do i do i get involved or do i wait for instructions you know it's uh well i think i think as cabin crew i quite appreciate it if it was uh, a bit of both of people like that so yeah. you've, you've you've got the people if you're in two minds about what to do best thing is to stay out of it because uh yeah. you could start to get in the way and like that incident that mm. you were saying jeff about uh just after 9-11 where Big the pilot. guy was killed yeah. uh due to suffocation well it's very easy for things to go out of control once you have everyone jumping in on top of uh, trying to get a piece of the action or mm. whatever you know uh so it it's it's almost good in a way that people don't get too involved mm. and that people who who really are confident yeah uh maybe right. you know military or uh or law enforcement or yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 what you yeah. really need is an air is an aircraft just full of uh judo and taekwondo passengers <laughs> and oh i know. i had sure that one. happens on occasion when they're going I, to I had the, great, wrestlers. Uh, the great british team uh of judo uh perfect <laughs> yeah that was a fantastic that flight to be ideal. on i, I felt very safe yeah. that would be ideal <laughs> or just large gentlemen like the two of us yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, quite right. Uh-huh. So Jeff has made it back, and I think, he, I think we would have moved on to the next uh, article by now because he asked me to move us along, and that hasn't happened. But it was actually a very good discussion, so I did not. And we had a lot okay. Of well, I'm glad you there, didn't so. because I told Steph I there need to pee, not- so could you <laughs> do the next news item? Cheese to go with that wine, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was very good discussion. So you said you, you yes. If well, I'm not going to say it. it's a, it's a family show. I was glad that Owen uh, chimed in there because I wanted to hear that, you know, the other side of the doors impression of what goes on. Because, mm. you know, yeah. uh, Nick and Jeff and Dana and I, we sit on the other side of the cockpit door and, you know, hearing Carlos and Matt talk about the passenger viewpoint and Owen talking about the flight attendant viewpoint is very important for us to know about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I can't really go into how much training we do have or don't have. But suffice to say that there are procedures in place for yes. uh, uh, the, any sort of incident that you can uh, that you can possibly imagine, uh, and it, it really the biggest help is just that everyone stays relatively calm as a, as a passenger, so that we don't have to be dealing with incidents separate to, or not not quite separate, but uh, incidents as a result of another incident. If you know what I mean. We don't want a, a kind of a pyramid style, an upside down pyramid style of things, mm-hmm. kind of snowballing out of control. So it, it, it yeah, yeah. For for us in the in this sort of incident, it's really important that we keep in control. Uh, yeah, and and Owen, you know, from the from my side of the door, it's also very important that you, as a flight attendant, when you're talking to the captain, 
Uh, and I actually had a good rapport with my number one on that flight. And she was very good at keeping me informed of what was going on. And uh, I mean, I, I was uh, very well informed about how many passengers they were, what seats they were in, what yeah. exactly was going on. And that made my job a lot easier. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the back and forth between the two of us, how we were handling things, uh, whether we were going to divert or not. And uh, so that's also important as well. Well, well, in every kind of incident, including uh, I'm, I'm going to talk slightly more about first aid and uh, the you know fire on board or whatever. There's always a communicator, a designated communicator in whatever airline you go to. Mm -hmm. There's always a designated communicator in part of however many of the team that you have. Uh, so there's always a or, or there should always be a link. Yeah, yes. that, that communication is very important. Yeah. Uh, and, and likewise, with, with the captain's intentions or the, the, the first officer's intentions, the flight deck's intentions uh, of what they're going to do about the information that we're giving them. That's also quite important to, to us as well, uh, especially to passengers who are <laughs> slightly freaking out about what's happening, you know, to reassure them even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent discussion. Uh, Steph, do you want to lead us into the next one another passenger oh, sure. misbehavior jeff just wants to see how well i can read right now that's really what <laughs> i can read if you want it's just my i'm losing my voice i can't read it <laughs> all right our next article here is from uh, airlive.net it's alert two u.s air force uh, f-22 raptors scrambled after a man tried to enter the american airlines uh flight 30 31 cockpit i feel like you need the uh bad boys music again for this but yeah. okay we'll, uh, I can do that. Okay. So Flight 31, an Airbus A321 aircraft, landed safely at Honolulu International Airport at 11.35 a.m. local. Uh, the flight originated from Los Angeles International Airport. Uh, two Pacific Command F-22 Raptors from the Hawaii Air National Guard were scrambled this morning in response to a reported disturbance on a civilian airliner making an approach to the Honolulu International Airport, U.S. Navy Commander Dave Benham told uh, CNBC in an emailed statement. According to the U.S. Pacific Command spokesman, the fighter jets escorted the airliner to the airport in accordance with Homeland Defense procedures. Local law enforcement responded once the civilian airliner was on the ground. Due to a disturbance on the flight, uh, the crew requested that law enforcement meet the aircraft upon landing in Honolulu. Uh, one of the passengers on the flight has since posted video on Instagram, of course they did, uh, that appears to have been filmed after the plane landed. It shows a handcuffed individual being taken off the plane by FBI agents. The incident happened about two hours before the flight landed in Honolulu. Um, a disturbance aboard a flight alarmed flight crew to the point where an off-duty law, law enforcement officer and others subdued a passenger, the FBI said in a statement. It confirmed the individual who caused the apparent disturbance was taken into custody, custody when the plane landed. Uh, the FBI said passengers were escorted off the plane and interviewed as part of the agency's ongoing probe into the incident. So that is all of the article. Um, I, I must say, I, I, did, I do rather enjoy a probe into a good incident. I think that is, uh, that is really the way forward. <laughs> That's what she said. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but the whole incident was just this, this individual trying to break into the cockpit, yeah. apparently. So. Um, <laughs> do these people not realize that the, these cockpit doors, they, they will not be able to, to break through them? Yeah, they, they they're going to yeah, keep, keep trying. They're going to keep trying. What this article doesn't tell you, this gentleman had been arrested earlier in the day at the airport. Wow. For doing something similar about what uh, that happened in Baltimore. 
he had gotten onto the ramp, been oh, arrested, released on bail, went back to the airport and got on an airplane. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah. So it's you know, so again, going really, back to going you know, back to how do people know that the guy was released and the airport doesn't have any way of knowing. They didn't know. And it happened um, there. Another thing that kind of quirks my interest, if there's an LEO on the airplane, whether he's off duty or not, they're allowed to carry their weapons. Um, so it'd be interesting they to know if this guy was armed or not. And because wow. uh, the crew would have known the crew is notified anytime there's an armed passenger on board of any type, whether it's a fam or a, a federal agent or an off to postal carriers can carry weapons on the airplane. It's amazing to carry weapons. Um, but the, the cockpit crew and the cabin crew have to know who they are and they have to if there's more than one, they often know who they are, uh, except for the, the fams know who everybody else is. But nobody knows who the fams are. Um, so the flight attendants obviously probably would, if this guy was armed, they would have known about this able-bodied person that could have assisted them. Uh, but the fact that this guy uh, was able to get back on the airplane after the incident earlier in the day, uh, it's again, it's just flabbergasted. This could possibly happen. But, but, but I mean, how, how, as you say, I mean, based on, on the issues that, that you've got there and the fact that he was arrested earlier in the day, I mean, how do you improve like the way that the systems work, if you like, so that that information is fed to airport security and a flag goes up. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, is, there so must that be kind of thing in happens place. in local retail stores. You know, like yeah. if someone's a shoplifter, they put their picture up and say, "This person is a shoplifter." I mean, how many stores does a guy go through with a stolen credit card before it finally, you know, yeah. sets off a flag? Yeah, this, well, is yeah. this is very um, true. Yeah. The but other then, thing but, is, you know, internal uh, notifications we got through the company. Uh, is uh, the crew did a great job with this. Uh, they, they handled, they followed the procedures that they were supposed to fly. And uh, so uh, big hats off to them and how they handled it. I mean, it was a very probably unnerving situation for, you know, the cabin crew, you know, the, the folks like Owen in the back, you know, cause like, like you said, um, I've done craft missions where, you know, the guys were asked coming back from Kuwait, these guys were asking what about the armed cockpit doors? I go, well, you see that M60 or that M16 you're carrying? You better, better back up when you shoot at the door because the bullet's coming back at you. That grenade you got, uh, yeah, the door's yeah, going to yeah, still yeah. be there when it goes off. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you're not getting yeah. through that door. But as I say, I, I'm more saying, it's like, how do you? Leg- I mean, the thing is, I suppose the other problem you've got is the sheer volume of people that are going through the airport. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not talking a handful of people that are going into a shop where they can look at your face and look at the picture on the wall. But I mean, surely there must be a way because presumably you need your passport. I mean, is that the case? Even if you're flying internally in the states, you presumably you still need a passport. Yeah, no, no, not a passport. You just need your driver's license. Some kind right. of I've, some kind yeah. of state or federal identification. Okay. And I mean, I mean, I'm asking a question. Excuse the, the the humble Brit not really understanding, but obviously uh, here it's very simple for us because we have one database. We have the DVLA, and all of our driving licenses appear on one database, which can be obtained. Now, yeah. I, I know there is no. an issue no. in the states, <laughs> which is which is yeah. paper. We have at least yeah. fifty, yeah. if it's not hundred and fifty. Yeah. So I mean, you license think- over in, in drivers' license over there is still paper. No, no, no. We, we've we've got a card. We 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 have a like a card now. And in fact, actually, my one goes in the taco head of the coach that I drive. Is so it a I, photo? I, uh, it, yeah, it has got a photo and everything on it. Yeah, it is a photo. See, we have we have driver's license in the states that are not well. Come, I think next January, they're not valid for identification. There's only like four states left. But, uh, it's like Maine, Montana, yeah. a bunch of M. There's states standards that have they have to meet. And they're not meeting those. The states haven't upgraded their right. uh, driver's licenses. So people are going to have to use yeah. passports. South Carolina so, was on the list until like last month. 
I, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is obviously based on that information, obviously it would be very difficult for the airport to do exactly that. So like sure. here in here in the UK, I'd like to think that obviously uh, because of, you know, if you were to, well, in fact, actually, I don't think that, I, I think Easy EasyJet used to, but um, I don't think you can now fly UK, internal UK flights now. You must have a passport. Oh, wow. uh, I, I know, I know, it, I know. It, it has to do with the Schengen and non-Schengen. So you can go intra schengen uh without uh you you need to have government issued photo id it's like eu it's uh, like you can fly within the eu uh, yeah. uh no, schengen isn't huh? it we didn't understand that so, word so schengen is uh an agreement that they have with uh, uh europe have an agreement that is basically means open borders between each the right. okay. eu no, that's, that's uh, a uh, city in yeah. china i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably has something to do with it yeah. no yeah no the Absolutely. but uh norway isn't part of it uh uk isn't part of it uh ireland isn't part of it yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no don't mention brexit no, no. oh no 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 no, <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, there's walk a bunch away of from that dangerous conversation whoa <laughs> there's a bunch of countries that are in the eu but not part of the the, the schengen agreement uh, so if you go outside of the Schengen, you must carry a passport or a, a valid uh, travel document Ooh. with the country that's non-Schengen. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're traveling into Schengen, any government-issued photo ID should do. Or okay. in the case of uh, countries like yeah. Italy, you can have a residence permit. Right. I mean, we've got a little bit off topic, I know, but uh, yeah, that that yeah. is. Um, it was just as the point I was getting at is in the UK, it's a lot easier for us because it's basically like one national database, and uh, with the exception of of sort of Southern Ireland, uh, we have know. like ten different no fly lists. In yeah, the wow, States. yeah, that's incredible. You can be on one and not the other. That's just crazy. Oh, that's mental. But uh, I mean, ha I mean, it's not going to be an easy task to standardise everything so that you can prevent such things like this, where somebody was either released from a mental institution or, um, you know, was arrested earlier in the day for doing something similar. I mean, it, it's going to be very difficult for to correct. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I going going back to the law enforcement uh, thing about being able to carry weapons and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not so sure you're allowed to answer this, but how many like. Yeah, I suppose in an average day or week, would you get on a flight or do you? Um, I can't, today, I, I don't know if I you had, can answer. Today I had two. I had three different flights. I had two armed passengers right. uh, on the same flight. Uh, I've had, I had a flight where uh, between from the first class forward, the only two people who didn't have a weapon was the number one flight attendant and me. The captain wow. was armed. I had the number one, the number <laughs> two person from the Drug Enforcement AG on board with her entourage, along with a couple air marshals and several FBI agents in first class. So, and I, I was joking right, with the captain, if a gunfight it. breaks, I'm the loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Wait a minute. Well, yeah. First class. I, I, know, I know on uh, some European carriers, they're not allowed any firearms, law, law enforcement or not. Mm. Uh it's Whether a lot different in the United States. Yeah, it's yeah. a wild, wild and, west and, over yeah. here, man. Yeah, no, and I'm not going <laughs> to get into our second amendment, you know, and we're all cowboys with him. You know, <laughs> we ride our own uh, to the airport. If I meant so, to but, ask you, um, does Taco have a license to carry? Does Taco have a license to carry? Yeah. It's, well, 
That's classified. To be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, I think we should probably let Jeff move the show along. Perhaps yes. we've. Uh... I think Jeff carries him. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. I, I have a license to carry. Taco. Okay. My taco has a loaded gun, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, you can't license that. No, no, no. That's smoking. Uh, whatever. Um, all right. Well, great discussion. Next. Thank you, uh, thank you, Matt, for uh, getting this uh, train back on the track. Um, I guess one more anyone, would, anyone, would thought I was, anyone would have thought I was a producer, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's great discussion. I'm sure that the folks listening um, appreciate it if they're still awake. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, the uh, yeah, no, that was rude. Sorry. Um, I'd like to mention uh, again, I mentioned this last week and I'm going to do this until the event actually occurs. Our good friend and uh, APG community member for quite some time. And also the webmaster for the airline pilot website. Arash Mahin is uh, riding in a ride uh, to conquer cancer. And again, he is uh, seeking our support for the third Enbridge ride to conquer cancer as a two day, 250 kilometer cycling journey. And uh, I just talked to him the other day um, and he said he had just uh, gotten back. I think it was Sunday afternoon or something like that from a marathon. And I think he's he's run 14 or 15 marathons and uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, he's an amazing guy. And if you want to support his bike ride. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Just wanted to mention that. And um, from time to time, we have folks that listen to the show and and uh, listen to us and think, gosh, if this knucklehead can do a podcast, I probably can too. And yeah, you know what I mean, right, uh, Carlos and Matt? <laughs> um, no, not, not saying, oh, never mind. That probably came out the wrong way. <laughs> You probably. We know. We know what you meant. You probably get people that. Okay. Um, So anyway, I received um, something via Slack uh, from uh, somebody who calls himself Trash Holler. Uh, Yeah, he flies transports in the military, and he is a um, a major, and he uh, is just starting a podcast, and uh, it's so new. In fact, I'm not even sure if he's officially live. But he says he's he has a few episodes now. I just listened to the uh, first episode of it. It's focused toward a very um, niche group of uh, folks, uh, military aviators, uh, those who are interested in possibly making that transition from uh, the military to the civilian flying world, as Captain Nick and I did. And uh, at least over here, there are a lot of... Uh, questions regarding the differences between military and civil aviation and how is it that we actually go about, you know, getting a military equivalency, a military competency, uh, uh, license, etc. And uh, so he uh, just published his, uh, as I mentioned, first couple of episodes. I'm not even sure if he, I think he said today he's actually putting in the uh, RSS feed for his show and it's called um, Go, No Go is the uh, the podcast and his first episode is regarding military competency and uh, let me play just a little bit of it and just to show you uh, how people right out of the box can come up with a show that really sounds great and professional you're listening to the go no go podcast 
podcast that bridges the gap between military and civilian aviation. This is episode one, and I'm your host, Seth Lake. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I will, of course, give you an introduction to myself and the show, and then we'll get straight to the content. Today, we'll be talking about the things you can be doing right now while on active duty that will ease your eventual transition to the civilian world. Okay. There's a little taste of the show, and unlike this show, it's very short, only a half an hour, at least the first episode. Trust me, Thank though, Seth, much, <laughs> won't be long before. So how long was your show today, uh, guys? Uh, it was just under two hours today. There you go. Jeff, Jeff's just <laughs> added, Sebastian's just added one more podcast to the 34. Oh, I have more. <laughs> I have more, <laughs> actually. It's Thank interesting for me hearing that, even that little snippet of Go No Go. Is, I mean, I wish I'd had something like that, you know, 20 years ago when I was looking at retiring and, you know, getting an airline job. Just having that channel to listen to and the things I should have done before I, I retired. I said, uh, I just told him the same exact thing, Jeff. Uh, today, uh, he asked me to listen to it and critique it, and I said, "Man, I really would have, uh, you know, benefited from listening to your show, uh, you know, way back when, twenty eight and a half years ago." If you could send me a link, I'd love to listen to it. You betcha. We'll have a link yeah. in the show notes. Uh, ah, we'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll cover it actually uh, when we do. We'll, we'll share it with our five listeners um, when we do the show <laughs> next week. Uh, it's okay; they're all here. Oh, that's <laughs> don't bother. You know that's not true. We, you guys met a listener of yours, right, in Pittsburgh, who actually did not listen to like the Airplane Geeks or our show or anything. They just, yeah. which was, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, wow. that was awesome. Yeah. Those that are the people from the mental scary. institution. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think it might have been. To be fair, uh, yeah, I, I genuinely think it might have been. It was, it was um, a, a very surreal. Uh, yeah, it was just yeah. very odd, wasn't it? Uh, just like it's you know, so you just say to you, oh, and you, you know, you listen to uh, APG, and they went, who? It's like, oh, what about airplane geeks? It's like, what? And it's just like, what? <laughs> these are like, these are people who struggle, who struggle to sleep at night yes absolutely yes and our show <laughs> until they turn you on, on. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah sleep is not that's, a problem that's what my wife Gemma says you know if she can't if she finds it hard to sleep she just sticks our show on and um yeah she's she's gone yep i i know all about it <laughs> podcast of verbal narcissism for ugly journalists <laughs> should i play that again so everybody can hear yes Oh, please. Podcasts are verbal narcissism for ugly journalists. See, now that, you see, that's just like, you know, that, that is the, that cuts the, the, most, to the core. Yeah, that is, yeah, I can say that is, it's like, you want to really disagree with that. And then you sort of take a look at the image that I can see in the bottom right hand corner. And you just think, yeah, yeah, I, I've definitely, you I've definitely. Look at the screen at no, all of us and you go, yeah, yeah. I look at a picture of me on, on the old hangouts and look at myself and think, yeah, I've definitely got a face for radio. There's, there's no ways about it. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> Well, not all of us. I don't even. I don't even have face radio. What are you talking about? <laughs> except, except Steph, because Steph is. No, that Steph is, is beautiful. No, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I'm right there with you guys. <laughs> the radio comes on, and slaps me. I'm so sore. Like, Come on, now. <laughs> no, you're Miss World, Steph. You're Miss yeah, World, you're 2017. Fine. That's right. Uh, that's right. Trying to be humble. Here. Trying to be humble. Not helping. <laughs> I should be escort. Stressed. 
I'm getting very distressed here because this lot are all drinking beer here. I don't know if you can see what I've got here. I have a yeah, can of Fanta. Fanta. I've got Fanta because I'm the one that is. I, I, yeah, I need one, to, no, to I, I'm Owen's chauffeur, you see. So oh, the designated driver. And Owen is drinking some fine beer tonight. Budweiser, I believe. You know, we never did discuss what Miss World 2017, I mean, what it was for. That is a very good bourbon. I have a bottle at home. What is that? Blanton's. Yes. Blanton's. Yeah. Very nice. Hey, um, speaking of new podcasts, one more that I'd like to tell everybody about, like you didn't have enough to listen to. Uh, This is from Andy, Andy Wilson. He says, hi, Jeff and team. Firstly, great job on the podcast. I try and watch weekly on YouTube and really enjoy the content of your shows. Unlike that stupid, boring PTUK podcast. No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. I actually added that. And oh, by the way. He is. I'm sure he listens to your show as well because he is an A320 pilot in the UK. Myself and a colleague produce our own very specific podcast called the A320 Podcast. He oh, goes, yeah. oh, cool. Original, oh, yeah. I know. Why You've would anybody it, right? listen to that? I don't know. <gasps> I know. <laughs> kid, no. Why would anybody listen to that? Uh, <laughs> is that in French? Uh, it might be. <laughs> Each week is a technical revision uh, subject or a look at an accident or incident to see what we can learn from it. We're trying to spread the word around that it exists. <laughs> and as you have Sorry, a lot <laughs> <laughs> As you have a lot of listeners, many of uh, many, I am sure, who are Airbus guys and girls, I'm just letting you know it exists and would really like your feedback, etc. Our website is a320podcast.com, or you can get it from iTunes or Stitcher for Android. Thanks for your time. And he said, it's I hope it's an Airbus. But let me let you hear a little. This is their first episode. I'll play just a little bit of a little snippet of it so you can hear uh, the quality of this. Welcome to the A320 podcast, where every week new and veteran Airbus pilots from around the world join together to get news, tips, and knowledge from me, Matt, and me, Andy. Join us every Monday morning for your weekly dose of information and motivation. Then head over to our website, a320podcast.com, to keep the conversation going. Now, though, let's get started. We might, we might lose Captain Nick to that one. <laughs> you know what? I, I do sense a slight Welsh accent in there, actually. That's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was that English? Yeah, barely, yeah. <laughs> barely. It's, certainly not, it's certainly not Cockney. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No. So, Ooh, no. Miami Hick says in the in the uh, chat room, I tried to listen to that Airbus podcast, but it just kept calling me a retard. <laughs> retard. Retard. Oh, sorry. Retard. 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 I, I mispronounced that. I'm sorry. Oh, my. Right. Oh, my. Yes. Anyway, thank you for that, Miami Hick. Um, you can always rely on my hammy hick for something slightly frightening, can't yeah. you? Yes. yes. That's for sure. <laughs> Good quality, editable material. Yes, indeed. Yes, more and more editing to go. All right. <laughs> well, I think now it's time for us to uh, get to the best part of the show, which, of course, is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. All righty. Let's start off with uh, Ian, not Owen. 
but Ian, <laughs> I-A-N. Hello? Yeah. Uh, he says, hi, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I was intro- introduced to your show about a month ago by a friend, Alex Lehman, who now I hate because yes, some no. friend <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I met uh, while recently traveling to Montreal. Your show is fantastic. I've managed to backtrack all the way to episode one. Uh oh, you know what that probably means. Uh oh, uh oh. Here it comes. APG syndrome. So sorry for the uh, syndrome, sir. APG syndrome. Anyway. He said that uh, he's gone through about 40 episodes and he thinks uh, it'll take him a few months to catch up, at least. I had not flown an Acme for nearly a decade, but recently flew an Acme flight from LaGuardia to Boston and was impressed by the comfort of the seats on the 717. He says, the new Mad Dog. By the professionalism of. What's that? Angry angry Puppy? Angry Puppy. puppy. Yeah, that's right. Sad Puppy. Yeah. by the professionalism of the staff and the lounge area by the gate. On my return flight, I was even more impressed because even during the four to five day fiasco that Acme was going through, they managed to get me back to New York via JFK instead of LaGuardia with only a five minute delay. I had wanted to go to JFK anyway, so this ended up working out. As a nice token of, of appreciation, I also received 20,000 frequent flyer miles from Acme, even though I wasn't really inconvenienced. That's fantastic customer service. I do have a question for you. I believe I recall you said you were retiring from flying for Acme in six and a half years or so. But does Acme plan on retiring the Mad Dog before you retire? If so, <laughs> would you cross train to fly? And uh, that is a good question. And uh, and and the Jeff, answer. Does that, mean, does that mean you're going to Victorville? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with all the airplanes, I guess. I'll be buying a house. Moving back to Southern California. <laughs> In the high desert. desert. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to look at them and pet them. <laughs> Good airplane. Yeah, well, um, I uh, I really do like Boeings, and I do like uh, Lockheed's. Um, but uh, I've kind of, because I've been on this airplane for so long, I've come to really appreciate the uh, mcdonnell douglas product as well um so here's the deal um the answer is i don't know uh it depends on what happens here what we're doing is we're uh, all the uh, bases other than atlanta that have mad dogs based we're closing all those bases and uh, within about a year or two i think dana right uh they're they're all going to be closed except for the atlanta base Yes, one instance correct. And what is going to happen is that Atlanta is actually going to grow. It's going to get bigger. There's going to be more flying uh, in the next year or so. And then as airplanes start to get retired, then the uh, category will start shrinking. And then the other thing to throw into the mix is the fact that they've talked about uh, retiring the MD-88 airplanes, but not the MD-90s. So I think they're going to be around for a little bit longer, probably well beyond after I retire. So uh, I'm just going to kind of play it by ear, see how everything goes, see how the trips are and, uh, you know, what is as far as my seniority is concerned, what I can what I can do with it. And if it gets to the point where I'm flying kind of crappy trips and my life is uh, going down the tubes as far as, uh, you know, flying this particular airplane, then I'll you know seriously consider going to something else. And if I do, I'll probably go to the uh, 757, 767 domestic flying uh, that category. Captain here the, yes, sir. Can you please move out of my way? 
Yeah, well, Dana now is a, a newly appointed captain on the same airplane at the other end of the scale. Welcome to my life, Dana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I understand. I understand the sentiment. Trust me. But uh, so, seniority, yeah, seniority, seniority. Yeah, it's important. Um, and uh, once you well, get you it, know, I'm, I'm, I'm so far behind Jeff, I can see that he's got a brown stripe in his underwear. <laughs> wow. More editing, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're a brown noser, Dana. Okay, <laughs> get that right. Something on your noser. Anyway, wow. uh, okay. so that's my answer. Um, and you know, anything can change. Uh, six, a little bit more than six and a half years, a lot can happen. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, you know, I don't relish the fact of going through another school if I don't really need to. Um, so. You know, I might just uh, slum it for the rest of my time here on this That's airplane. That's right. Senioritis, just coast on out to the end, right? You got yep. it. Mm-hmm. Take yeah, it easy. 60, 65 of the, the nine, all, all 65 of the 90s, I'm not slated to retire at all, uh, yeah. at least in the foreseeable future. Right. In absolute worst case scenario, you could slide over to the, uh, I know it's a little bit less pay, but if you didn't want to go through a full school, you could go go to the 717 because true. the same wow. type of rating. And it'd be so, a very. So, and it's a Boeing. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's sometimes Boeing. Well, yes, yeah. 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 But sometimes it's uh, sometimes money is not always what life is all about, is it? I mean, sometimes it's quality life of life and things like that. Podcasts. You know, you just gotta. Right. You know, I wish I knew that last week before I upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, thanks for your question, Ian. Um, John, uh, this is another Mad Dog related question. He says hello to the best flight deck crew it's john from charleston south carolina first time sending feedback found the show a few months ago while trying to find something about aviation to listen to being an over-the-road trucker i had no choice but to start on episode one and now three months later i'm up to 204 wow Wow. that is wow a lot of listening that's like apg syndrome that's yeah can't come back from that holy cow i think you need to see a psychologist (laughs) i regret that we can't pay for your therapy (laughs) (laughs) he adds a lot he adds uh start Sorry, sorry, Steph. My illness is not curable. No, I, I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. That's beyond my Steph can, can help you with that. My, my love for aviation started in August of 2001 when I turned 13. I got plane tickets on Northwest. Rides were two each on Northwest DC 931 and 727-200s. My question is, when flaring the Mad Dog, how easy is it to make a smooth landing with it? Do you see any newer pilots struggle with it as they learn how it handles and ground effect? With all that flap on a plane not as sleek as a 787, it would seem that the ground effect goes away in a hurry if you try and hold it and grease one. I love the podcast. Keep them going. May the skies be smooth, the beer be ice cold, and your airplanes be squawk free. So I think Colonel Jeff has something to say about this. Well, the the problem with the Mad Dog is is not so much the flaps; it's the CG. Because a lot of times, if you got a really forward CG, when you flare, you're driving the main gear into the ground because it's so far behind you. And after, you know, and Jeff, you probably are pretty good at this. You look down at where the trim is set and you can actually figure out where the CG is just by looking where the trim is setting and you know how much you can flare. And you'll see a lot of guys in the MD-80, they'll kind of unload right before they touch down. Hmm. They get a feel for it. It gives it a better landing. It's not that easy to do, especially for a new guy. Yeah. So I'm going to say this purely as having been a passenger on the Mad Dog and other aircraft. I've had experienced nothing but excellent, smooth touchdowns on 
Mad Dog aircraft. Yes. I not yes, say I the agree. same for uh, the a the baby buses and also the 737s. Sorry. Yeah, 737s. Uh-oh. Them's fighting words. Hey now. Hey now. Why are we saying bad things about the 737? I'm just thinking <laughs> wow. of. Really? That's what I. She's sitting next to me. I, mean, I know. She's, wait, I know. She's I'm looking I'm, for a black I'm eye I'm here. Inviting oh. here. <laughs> really? I'm ride just, back to the hotel, I'm just though. trying to open up the computer <laughs> and maybe you understand why that might be. It's, it, you're, well, you're it's a very simple explanation. It? It's a very simple explanation that because you fly, you're flying the Mad Dog, you have to actually fly the airplane. You have <laughs> we to have a good pilot to be able to fly the airplane. There you go. Much better pilots are flying the uh, Mad Dogs than all the other airplanes. I will say, I hadn't flown for five weeks until today, and I greased both landings. So, I mean, it's not that hard to land. Well, you know, that's because they flew them down the runway for you. (laughs) Auto land. Auto land. I don't don't, don't Uh, don't have an auto land on the 737. It's called a HUD, and it's hand flown. Matt, do you have something to say? <laughs> yeah, no, I was just saying, I don't know. I, 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 as a result of my trip to Pittsburgh, I officially have an aircraft that I genuinely despise, uh, and that is the seven seven five seven three hundred. I think it tried to kill me. It's the uh, North Atlantic RJ. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, but it was it was too far. <laughs> Like I don't know. I mean, everybody that I've said that to, it's like you're going to you're going all the way to the states on that airplane. It's like, yeah, yeah. United to think that's fine. That's <laughs> not the airplane to to use for a long yeah. flight. Oh, no, exactly. Honestly, so from so from Iceland to like Boston, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, that's like anything four sort of- and a half. Yeah, three, three, it's fine. three to four hours, I think, is fine. But I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm not joking. I got, I got about five hours into the flight, and I literally, I mean, bearing in mind because I was in premium economy, obviously, uh, <laughs> and I was like a whole eight rows away from the toilet, and I went from there to the toilet, come back, and I couldn't breathe. I was exhausted, just like, <laughs> just like, oh, honestly, I don't know what it was no, that no, airplane. It was just because the aircraft wasn't trimmed cro- uh, properly. Okay, yeah, well, he was just trying to kill me. Kind of has something to do with the fumes. I really need to go. Yeah, so I officially hate an aircraft. I, I, it's Airbus all the way for me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm a well, big Airbus I lover I felt, I felt <laughs> absolutely amazing when I got back on my he 787 Dash uh, yeah. 9 Dreamliner. I, I, I said this on the show. He got, he got to, because like, I arrived an hour beforehand. I arrived. At, I walked uh, off that uh, aircraft and I felt like a million dollars. Yeah, and I looked like death. So, I mean, it was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look like death when I come off the seventh so, grade. I don't think that's the aircraft. I think that might have something to do with passengers. Well, the that. only thing I'm noticing here is that uh, Captain Nick has been awfully quiet in yes. this whole discussion of uh, <laughs> aircraft manufacturers, and usually that's not the case. So I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. Is there anything okay. you'd like to add to the conversation? All quiet, Captain please. All Nick. quiet. Yeah. Let Nick speak. <laughs> I, I just need to nip out for a beer. <laughs> he missed the whole thing. Now he's leaving now. <laughs> he's really leaving. He really has gone. Oh boy. Okay. Was it something right. he said? So clearly we've yeah. offended him. Yes. Yes. Uh, we'll move on. What Nick was going to say was he cannot wait for uh, his to fly the uh, Dreamliner. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think Boeing won. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think so. I think so. Well, in, 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 the, yeah, in, in the in the absence of there being no ca- uh, Captain Nick because he's getting a beer, I'm just have going to have to use the word boing, and I think we should move on. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you're outnumbered, Matt. So <laughs> shut yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say one more thing about uh, John's question. 
that the to me the 88 is and 90 is so much easier to land than the airplane that i flew right before it which was the 727 200 which yeah. is probably one of the most difficult airplanes i've ever had to land in my yeah. life so you talk about that cg situation uh, jeff it's even worse than the 727 so i don't know yep. if you had a chance to fly that one or not uh, not Jeff, as a can I, can I comment on this? Yes, sir. Please do. Dana. I want to comment on and, and and the the ground effect actually is the same for all airplanes. So it it doesn't matter how sleek it looks as a seven eighty seven or whether it's a Cessna one seventy two or one fifty two or Piper Warrior or Mad Dog or seven five seven. You know, it's uh, I believe the it's the one wing's length above the ground or. Something that I don't remember exactly what the verbiage is on it, but once you get into ground effect, um, you know, all the aircraft pretty much handle the same way. I mean, you have that cushioning. It's just a matter of whether your vertical speed is, you know, 1,000 feet per minute or, you know, 500 feet per minute when you touch down. It's going to make the difference. Uh, and and just just uh, the ground effect is, is going to be the same. Tell, tell Jeff to use his inside voice. I'm sorry, we're we're having side conversations. Here. <laughs> no, I can hear it. <laughs> I've, I've got to be better on the. Uh, I got to get used to the mic. Hit the hit the yeah, mute button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow! I walk away. See you later, guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> we were trying to listen to you. What have um, we moved on now? Then <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting for your opinion. Actually. And so we uh, finally. I was, I was just saying how nice the A three thirty is to ride on. Yeah, we just. That's yeah, good, right? I had a lovely flight on an A three thirty. Yeah, uh, I'm a bit worried about the seven three and the rudder hardovers. They don't seem to have fixed that problem. Hasn't yeah. happened in decades. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's damn noisy. Damn noisy. God, I've never seen yeah, such a noisy yeah. airplane. <laughs> um, the uh, Dreamliner is lovely. Uh, you are lucky to uh, get a trip in one because most of them are broken. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. He's refueled. He's ready to go. Oh, it's boy. amazing what a beer can do, isn't it? It is. It is. Like, it brings new life, you know? Yeah. Nick, no, I, I think, uh, Jeff, you've got the right idea. He's going to fly in the any decent Boeing around, the 7.6. It was a great airplane. It yeah. was. It was a great airplane. Yeah, and it's time. So, I'm, I'm going to ask a question now, because when, when I, come to, I come to New York in November, beginning of November time, and, the, and again, that is, that? The, that, is the, that is United I'm flying oh, with again. Fantastic. Well, I'm not the one paying for it. You know, somebody else is like, like, I'm going out for work, so they've, they've dealt with it all. all right, but but I'm, I'm flying out on, now I went, I, first time I came up, it was a 757-300, and I'm now coming out this time around on a 767-300. So what's the difference? Size, size, yeah. okay. Size matters. Yeah. So, am I allowed to have a better experience? Oh yes. Well, um, yes. The, it 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 it's seven six three hundred. It's going to be a, a twin aisle airplane. You're going to have uh, more than likely going to have two seats on, on each side, and then you're going to have uh, three seats in the middle. Four it's five. a far more comfortable aircraft. Uh, in comparison, I hate to say this, I, in in uh, I'm not I'm not going to try to powder Nick's buns at all, but uh -oh. in, in comparison to three thirty. <laughs> Which is a very similar uh, setup. The 330 is a little bit more comfortable ride than the 76300, but it's a much more comfortable ride than you'll get on the 76, uh, 757 or Okay, yeah. all right. So it's, a, it's definitely a bigger plane. Oh, yes. Much bigger. Oh, yeah. You know what? You and I, and, you know, 
speaking of 737s, I won't ever bid that aircraft because I don't fit in the airplane in the cockpit. It's too damn small. It's smaller than so, the Mad Dog. Yeah. Much yeah. smaller than the Mad Dog. Yep. Goodness me. So I, I wonder sometimes how some of the pilots uh, use the escape ropes at the cockpit windows. We're just That's not going question. to. Yeah, I don't fit through the window. I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Abort, everyone. Abort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to fly with some guys, some captains that uh, you, when you try to do a control check, you couldn't even really You're get like it back into, after they, neutral. They have to put the seat all the way back for you to move the yoke back. And yeah. even that, right. it didn't help. No, I saw Captain. I don't know how he got off the airplane because he didn't fit in the door. Oh. Well, so you, you 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 were quite well acquainted by the time your trip had finished, Captain Jeff. You need one of yes. those CRJs. They have Jeff, those patches. Jeff, I can get, do a control check. The problem is not my belly. Okay, that's in the way. Uh, okay, lovely. Uh, and, try and moving on. Uh-huh. There we are. That's APG after dark. So yeah. from Alex uh, <laughs> says, "Hi, Captain Jeff. I just wanted to drop a quick note to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I'm not a pilot, but have always been interested in flight." I've been flying model rockets, sounds dangerous, RC planes, and most recently quadcopters. During college, I worked as an ARFF firefighter. It was a lot of fun operating the big Oshkosh truck. Thankfully, my airport only had two incidents, a wheels up landing and a hot break. Somehow, I stumbled across your your podcast while geeking out reading about airlines on the web. I wanted to know more about what it's like to be a pilot. Your podcast was one of the first results in Stitcher, and it certainly fit the bill. I really enjoy hearing about this, uh, hearing about behind the scenes and all the technical information. I started with one of your newer episodes with Dr. Steph and Captain Nick. I realized there were a lot of older episodes and wanted to know how the show developed, like how the co-host came to be. So since winter of 2016, I've been listening through all the old episodes. Oh, geez. It's another case. <laughs> I'm yeah. currently up to episode 171, which is over 14 days of listening, assuming oh. two-hour shows. Now and then I'll treat myself to one of the newer episodes, but I still fall back to the older episodes while working around the house or driving. So thanks for producing your podcast. I'm a thankful listener. On a quick side note, I'm working on starting a second small business. I'm currently working as a firefighter paramedic and run a two-way radio business. My latest adventure is custom laser engraved and powder coated stainless steel drinkware. Hey, oh, how's that? Uh, kind of like your t-shirt printing shop. I'm setting up a spray booth and other necessities in my garage. I've been pondering potential customers, and I thought mugs with Acme logo would be neat. So I'd like to offer free mugs to you and the crew. If you'd like them, maybe we can work something out to sell to other listeners. Free. Take care, Jeff. Free. Yes, free. <laughs> a magic word. We like, we like that word. It's a good one. <laughs> no, Alex. What do you guys Take think? Take care, Jeff. And thanks for, again for the great podcast, Alex from Snohomish, Washington. So what do you think? Do you think we should take him up on that offer? I will never turn down a free <laughs> drinking <laughs> vessel. Yeah, it sounds like uh, we'd love to have that kind of thing available for purchase. So, yeah, yeah we'll um, get in touch with you, Alex, and see if we can uh, work something out. Um, all right. Um, thank you for listening. And what are you laughing at? Nothing. It's the next, uh, the next, the next all. feedback. Uh, There's just something highlighted that was funny okay i'm sorry i didn't mean for that to be i have <laughs> to mute okay. the microphone better. i think it will i'm doing a terrible job of producing on our end tonight <laughs> i just i give up so um we met this lovely lady and her um two of her children actually at the uh, wings over pittsburgh um air show and um uh, her name is rebecca 
and she sent this in a little while back, actually before the um, the air show, a few days before that. And uh, she said, um, now, of course, she, she starts off with the thing that uh, Steph was chuckling about. She says, do not read my lame comments on it. Just use the article for discussion if you want. <laughs> Oops. I guess I wasn't supposed to read that. Sorry. Too late. Yeah. Oops. So, Rebecca, they're not lame. That's why we're reading them. She says, I was wondering about this. Of course, the article she's referring to is U.S. to ban laptops in all cabins of flights from Europe. Okay, This is kind of an old story, as we know. Uh, actually, it's a, a story that's uh, still developing, right? Mm. And she said... Yeah, uh, we talked about it earlier. Right. Yeah. Uh, she said, better in the cabin than in the cargo where it cannot be detected and put out in time. Mm. Uh, the ban seems to be a boondoggle or worse. And I, I don't think I can agree with that. I think there is actually some, you know, some security concerns that they are concerned about, which we've talked about uh, earlier in the show. But, uh, you know, trying to come up with a good compromise is, is going to be important for a, a good solution to this. Um, she says, I also think about Rick flying crates of these lithium ion batteries uh, and pallets of them are scary or that's scary. And we agree with you. And I think Rick probably agrees with that as well. Um mm. Anyway, she says, I wonder if each continent should manufacture their own, no shipping overseas, and make standard batteries for all sorts of devices available upon arrival and recycle or consigned upon return trip. Imagine the stores in each airport. So, uh, anyway. Rebecca, again, yeah, that is so logical. Yes. It'll it never happen. Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's <laughs> never happened. Yeah, that makes logical, too much sense. Logical, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Carson sent us a... Uh, photo of a license plate in georgia and uh it's uh georgia plate apg 5214 and uh he said he, he saw that and thought of our show and he said that he couldn't go to wings over pittsburgh but uh had to do another trip for personal reasons so are you sure this isn't just Dis dispatcher mike's uh, license plate isn't that the right county <laughs> it is yeah oh yeah sure it is Huh. I mean, those those license dates on there, December 13, December 15, aren't they a bit out of date? I mean, presumably. Yeah, they are. He said he was holding on to it for a year and a half. Oh, so okay. So it maybe was not it was... out of date when he took it. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let, let's hope As that someone who was to, recently uh, pulled over for expired registration. Go ahead, Owen. Oh. How, that, how much did that cost? APG um, 5214. It cost me $20. Oh, cheap. No kidding. Well, I had to pay the That's registration. No, I, I was fined $20, but I didn't have to go to court for it. I just had to show up and pay the ticket. And then uh, I actually had to pay the registration, which was like, or, and the taxes, which all totaled was like $450. But that, I had to pay that anyway, so it didn't matter. Wow. I just didn't realize I had let it lapse. So it, <laughs> <laughs> break. it was, uh, it was unintentional on my part, and I paid it as soon as I realized um, after the very nice yeah. highway patrol then pulled me over for it. Yes. <laughs> well, well, who I'm a thought you'd be a fugitive? A law-abiding citizen. <laughs> Did you say the nice highway patrolman pulled you? 
Hold me know. over, oh, over. Yeah. Over what? <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably because Steph was driving the her Jeep with most of it missing, the doors yeah. off. and All the doors <laughs> gone. We, we drove it that way today. That's a fun ride that way. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff survived. Until you go around a corner, all out. That's what seatbelts are for. It's all, exactly. it's all rains. No, it's it's fast police. enough, it goes over your head. The, the police officer just pulled her over purely and simply because, obviously, you know, Dr. Miss Steph is Miss World 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He really just wanted an autograph. Yeah. Hey, Owen, now is your chance. Oh, right. No, I was just going to say, let's hope uh, you guys get to APG 5214. Um, so <laughs> here's to the next uh, 5,000. <laughs> yeah, so, Lane Street did the math already. Some, Lane Street, the chat room did the math. 4,940 to go. There you Check go. Right. There you I'll be retired by then. That's a lot of IPA. I yeah. might be retired uh, by then. I'll, I'll be, be dead by then. by then. As the youngest person here. Well, no, wait, sorry. Owen will probably be retired by then, too. Yeah. No, Steph, Steph, Owen's only about five Steph minutes old. Miss Grandma 2017. <laughs> Not 2017. I have children older than Owen. Come on. Oh, boy. But fortunately, I don't think older than me. No. Close. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Uh, let's see. I wanted to, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I just want to make sure I get this one in. Uh, on this episode and uh, this is from jp he said hi abg crew i'm writing you uh writing to you from oya greece i'm not sure how you pronounce that oia oia oh, yeah? oui? i don't know who's been to greece oh, oi. i've been to oi. greece oi. Oh, how do you pronounce that oi 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 we'll go with oi jeff do you want me to read this for you because you're losing your voice yeah please do okay Greece, an amazingly beautiful town on the island of Santorini, which is unbelievably gorgeous, in the Mediterranean Ocean. I'm on a post-graduation trip with my girlfriend as we both graduated from the University of Florida with engineering degrees earlier this month. Congratulations. That's awesome. We are mostly in... That wasn't in there, by the way. I'm just congratulating him. We are mostly laying around in the sun and getting burnt to crisp here. So I thought it would be a great time to finally write my first feedback. Great to hear from you. I recently was on a flight from Orange County, SNA, to one of my favorite airports to Atlanta on a 757-200. We had just completed boarding when the captain came on to say that there was an issue with the inertial guidance system and that we needed to have two boxes swapped out for new ones. After they were swapped out, the captain let us know that they would take a few minutes to calibrate and we'll be pushing back and heading out. I really appreciate the captain keeping us updated as we were delayed about an hour. I wanted to get APG crew's input and possibly get some insight into why the boxes needed to be swapped instead of just recalibrated, whether it's a common occurrence or whether it happens to, on other types of aircraft and how exactly the inertial guidance system itself is calibrated. It should probably be noted that this was the first flight for this aircraft of the day, as it had been sitting in uh, Orange County all night. And I thought this might have played a part in the issue we were having. Let me scroll down here. Hold on. Anyways, thanks for such a great podcast and continuing to stoke my interest in aviation. I actually, I'm actually planning on taking a discovery flight when I get back to the States and to start my studying ground school portion of my student pilot's 
flight manual now that I'm free from all my engineering coursework. J.P., Kieran, and Lewis. Now, before we answer this question, I want to um, say hi, J.P. Uh, Really great. Hi, J.P. Really great. Yeah, but the reason why I'm saying I know J.P. J.P. is a uh, really good friend. I mean, one of my my uh, son's best friends and uh, they knew each other. They went to school together. And uh, so I was telling uh, my my son, Chris, hey, said I got some uh, feedback from J.P. And he goes, really? That's cool. So uh, anyway, just wanted to throw that out. Uh, Of course, I hope I didn't blow your uh, anonymity, uh, J.P. Loney's uh, cover. Yes. Oh, no. no, no, we're yeah. all friends here. He's just so JP. Yeah. So anyway, great, great guy. So uh, now I'm going to sit back because my voice is going and let all these great, um, very knowledgeable people ans- answer this question. Well, uh, Colonel Jeff here was trying to explain it to me while we were, uh, while Dana was so eloquently reading the actual feedback. So in my Boston accent. Yeah, it was beautiful. The, the IRUs, the inertial nav units have a internal battery which only lasts five minutes. And if you don't power down the airplane overnight in the correct manner and shut it down in the correct manner, those IRUs may stay active. And when those batteries discharge, you replace the entire IRU. And then what has to happen, you, re- you bring a new box over, it does not know where it is. And it doesn't like when it doesn't know where it is. So first you have to find the box to replace it. Then you got to take them out and you got to get it calibrated to where the airplane actually is versus where that box thinks it is. So that's probably why they had the delay because they probably just uh, shut down the airplane overnight in the wrong way. This happens occasionally, not very often, but it does happen occasionally where you kill the IRUs, IRUs is basically what you're doing, the inertial nav system. Well, and not only that, but uh, you know the IRUs take about uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes on average once, once they're installed to figure it out. And they actually, IRU actually uses the motion of the earth it can figure out where, based on magnetic fields and, and the motion of the Earth, as to where it is exactly. So, um, it's, Jeff, it's are, they, um, are they mechanical IUs in the seven five, or are they? No, they're like, ring laser gyros. Are they? Okay. Ring, yeah. I don't think anybody has a mechanical inertial nav system anymore that I know don't, of. Mess up, Mad Dog. Mad Dog. <laughs> Mad Dog used Mad to, dog's got one. but it, that was the Ahars unit. Yeah, and those are all gone out of the ADA. IRU, what are you guys talking about? I've never heard of any of this stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're still VOR to VOR, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, NDB to NDB. Yeah, yeah. He's at VOR. What's a VOR? Yeah. What? I just look at the, I look look for the water towers, the name of the city on the the water tower. (laughs) IFR, I follow roads. Yeah, you so. use still they use those use those big concrete arrows that uh, yeah, and the fires, the bonfires <laughs> at night. There you go. <laughs> Smoke signals during the day. Ah, uh, shut up. All right. Um, <laughs> let's uh, continue. Thank you again, JP. Great to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, that's really cool that you have an interest in aviation. I never knew that until you sent me this feedback. And uh, good luck with uh, studying for your uh, student pilot uh, ground school stuff. And, awesome. And if you have any questions, really make sure that you ask somebody other than me, because I'll probably give you bad information. <laughs> you can ask me. I, I still remember uh, discovery flights and yeah. student pilot That would be the best so, source. Yeah, okay. yeah, she would, actually. Uh, Sean uh, writes about, oh, this is that. Uh, Legion. 
Allegiant 436 that took off from, uh, was this the one out of um, uh, Vegas or was this the one? No, out no, of, this one, not just outside of Detroit. Detroit. Okay. Dana, you would, would you like to take this one as well? You want me to read again? Okay. From Sean McHale. Thought you'd find this interesting. Allegiant 436 was the MD-83. We're in the elevator linkage wasn't properly retached maintenance Resulting in an aborted takeoff. I don't know if that's correct, though. I think it was, wasn't it due to the fact that they had high winds and it, belt, and it bent some of the uh, Yeah, I thought it was linkages? Yeah, I yeah, think this so one anyways. actually, this might be the one that was um, in Vegas because this was, that one was not uh, reattached. Yeah, this was the Vegas one. Um, it, was a Vegas it was not reattached right, so- uh, properly. And there were several, um, uh, things that were skipped in the, the maintenance has these, I think they call them cards that they yes. have to go through and specific um, operations that they perform and they have to uh, document every single thing. And I think that uh, they were in the midst of uh, repairing this part or doing something to the um, one of the tabs on the uh, on the elevator. And then there, I think there was a shift change or something. And uh, there wasn't a good um, handover, and uh, some things were skipped. And uh, so this company, basically, the FAA found that this company was negligent in their repair. And uh, the interesting thing about this is the uh, uh, the, the newspaper uh, in Tampa Bay, uh, what was it called? The uh, Tampa Bay News, I guess. Um, they, or the Times, I'm not sure here. Let me get the exact. TampaBay.com. Yeah. Um, Tampa anyway, Bay Times. It says it right there. Tampa, Tampa Bay, Bay Times. Times. They uh, actually received a copy of the report, and it was supposed to be redacted, but it wasn't. And so there was several things in there that uh, the both Allegiant and the FAA didn't want the general public to know, especially a a news organization and uh, the news organization found out by reading this unredacted um, report that uh, several people in the FAA had recommended that they really, really strongly, uh, you know, fine and punish this company for really shoddy work and, and just bad procedures. And the fact that they could have killed, you know, hundreds of people or more than a hundred people on this flight. And, um, for some reason, um, it went through and they basically just got a slap on the wrist, no fine, no suspension or anything. And, uh, they thought that that was kind of odd. Very odd. And that wrong. that's concerning to, well, it should be concerning for everyone. Uh, whether you're a person uh, that just you know buys a ticket to fly somewhere or somebody who uh, operates an airplane for a living that the uh, you know the uh, the chief enforcement agency of uh, in ensuring safety um, and compliance with safety they look at this and basically they look the other way and something is really really disturbing to me about this well you know and quite all honesty Jeff uh this this whole outsourcing of maintenance is is becoming a, a bigger and bigger problem. This is this is tip the iceberg, I think. Um, yes. Why are you laughing? Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Continue. <laughs> they no, it's, they it's, consider it's, safety it's, a joke. Uh, what you're talking about? Sorry. <laughs> We're reading the shit. We're it's keeping a up. Very serious conversation, guys. Come <laughs> on. My word. Hello. I'm talking I'm, about safety here. 
Yeah. I think we want to see Steph's hands uh, in view. Of all the time. Yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is Captain Jeff smiling so much? <laughs> it's, there was. It's the man. It's the It's cool, bro. What she can do with her thumbs. <laughs> So uh, okay, anyway, wow. so so, so what? Aviation podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dana, you were saying what? What's the um, you know what? What's sort of like the outcome of this? I mean, where? where well, you know, in 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 this, I, even at Acme, and and I can't speak for every other airline, but you know, we're outsourcing as well. Um, it's uh, I get a very good friend of mine that happens to go all the way to Hong Kong for. Uh, to be over uh, oversight of the maintenance facilities of the, the of the contractor that does the work for Acme over in Hong Kong. I mean, why do we have to fly airplanes to Hong Kong or down? And we have Mexico too. And so even at at uh, you know the the big airlines, we're outsourcing the maintenance as well for cost. But yet then we contract to bring in maintenance. So it, it's kind of like it, it's weird to me because you, you see other airlines come into Acme's headquarters, and then you've got uh, you know we're outsourcing our, our maintenance. Well, why don't we just keep it in house? Because then we can keep better controls over it. And this is just kind. I think it's just the, the tip of the iceberg because. Um, you know, you. How do I say this without incriminating anybody? Um, well, it it gets very messy in terms of the fact that you, gets, you've got a huge paper trail and so many people that you can blame, and uh, so many points where things can go wrong. Well, true, and 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 where I'm trying to go with this is that there's some work being done that's being signed off by the IA, the you know the the inspector. But the the work being done by the people that are doing the work and not actually certified mechanics. So I mean, oh, wow. I mean, is is this decision basically purely a financial one? Is that why absolutely. they're outsourcing? Right. Yeah, I, absolutely. I um I I understand Dana's um frustration with this because when you're leaving Atlanta and you're taking off on runway two six left, you go by the open hangar doors of Acme Airlines and you see. A bunch of Acme airplanes, but you also see a bunch of um, airplanes uh, from different uh, airlines, as well as uh, airplanes from the U.S. Air Force. They're uh, diplomatic airplanes. You know the uh, what is it? The eighty seventh, I think. Um, you know, like the the uh, uh, VIP transports and that kind of thing. And we because we are known for like the best maintenance or one of the best uh, maintenance programs in the world. And when we take airplanes to these places in Mexico and Hong Kong and uh, other countries, we kind of scratch our heads and go, well, I thought we were the best. Why are we sending it to these third parties? Yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of like uh, Lufthansa Technic in, uh, in, in Europe. They've got a massive amount of bases in Malta. In U- yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they've got yeah, one yeah. in Shannon in Ireland, and uh, yeah, they've they've uh, they're well part of the Lufthansa Group, uh, and they frequently get maintenance or do maintenance for a lot of other airlines, including airlines from as far away as uh, sort of Western Asia uh, and the Middle East. I mean, I. I, I- uh, Captain Nick, I mean, I assume everything is all still very much in-house as far as um, Acme Red is concerned. I mean, 
Well, we do our day-to-day maintenance, but major checks. Uh, no, we outsource major checks. Really? Yeah. Well, they're 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 long, intensive. You need a big setup to be able to do a major on an aircraft, mm-hmm. and uh, not every airline uh, is equipped to do that. And uh, right. just like. Uh, uh, Dana says uh, you also have to take into account the cost. So sometimes it's cheaper to fly uh, an Acme Red aircraft all the way out to Manila uh, and have a check done there um, than it is to uh, um, do it in-house or do it locally. Um, but having said that, we do send our own engineers out to monitor and the aircraft has to go through uh, an acceptance at the end of it. Uh, and they're pretty good at keeping an eye on the standards. So, you know, you you have to trust your own engineers to actually uh, monitor how well the um, your, your outsource company is uh, is doing the job. Well, but I mean, and, I, I mean, I, and that's that's exactly my point, Nick. Is is that I have you know a personal friend that I know that spends a good part of the year in Hong Kong, overseeing, making sure that everything goes properly. And for us, you know, at Acme, you know, even though we're outsourcing it, we still have our own people putting their eyes on everything and making sure it's done properly. So it, it, it you know, you get this situation with another airline here that's a, a, a discount carrier that they're not doing that. So we're in a, we're in a fortunate case and, in, 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 you know, it's alluded to the fact that um, we have some of the best maintenance in the world here at Acme and we're outsourcing it, but we still have some of those best maintenance people in the world over seeing what's going on so i feel relatively safe uh flying and operating aircraft just like you do over there in, in acme redneck it, it it's it's the the lower cost carriers that actually concern me because they don't have that oversight I but I mean, how, how, how does it make how does it make you as pilots feel i mean uh, i mean i i mean is it just so commonplace that you almost nothing it i mean it's just standard run-of-the-mill stuff i mean would you prefer it to be in-house i mean well i I know for us it's you know like dana said we have we hired a company and i don't remember where they were where when our crews went to pick up the airplane they refused to even fly the airplane based on what they did just to during the what they saw during the pre-flight so wow uh, yeah we don't use them anymore uh, I, <laughs> yeah, right. like, I mean, our 777s go to China for their heavy maintenance. A lot of our other airplanes, like our Mad Dogs, all go to Tulsa. Uh, I think we do our 767s in Tulsa and at the, in Alliance in Fort Worth. So there is a lot of oversight when we do send out to these MROs any of our aircraft. Uh, I'm not sure whether they do our Airbus fleet because I'm not very familiar with those. Not that I want to be. Um, <laughs> so our seven, three sevens are done in house, but there's a lot of oversight. I mean, I've been to Tulsa and had to pick up an airplane. Um, uh, and you know, you get handed a book that's about six inches thick of all the things that were done to the airplane. Um, a, uh, a station in the United States called CNBC actually did, a, uh, a segment called a day in the life. And they followed one of our mad dogs through a heavy sea check in Tulsa. And they showed how, I mean, we basically stripped the airplane down to a hull. There's no seats. There's no interior. They completely rewire the airplane. And it's all done in like a week and a half. And then, you know, the, the recertification, it goes on. So when you get an airplane out of there, uh, you're pretty confident that it's been, we have, at my airline, we we have actually pilots based at Tulsa. And all they do is the, uh, what we call functional check flights. 
right? Where they take the airplane up, and they're—I mean, they're literally shutting down engines and starting them in the air. Uh, they, oh, you know, wow. starting the, air, the APU up at thirty-five thousand feet to make sure that it will. That kind of stuff, raising and lowering the gear at all different altitudes, and uh, so when they hand you back an airplane, you know you've got a quality piece of equipment for the most part. Yeah. So there is a lot of checks and balances, especially on the, on the American side. Now, some of the low cost carriers, I mean, I've flown into the, in the Central America and South America where these, some of these MROs, MROs are. And I mean, it, there's basically airplanes sitting on the ramp that are just hulks outside of a hangar being worked on with, you know, scaffolding around them. So, you know, I look at those and it just it gives me the willies. But I mean, I mean, we, I mean, we mentioned the word low cost carrier as a as a concern, like you know, perhaps from a maintenance point of view. But certainly, um, I mean, it, my limited knowledge and experience here in the UK, actually, you, you're you're finding that the low cost carrier's maintenance is actually far greater than some of the long haul ones because they cannot afford for that aeroplane to be out of service, if you see what I mean, because their networks are so tight, if you like. That they actually, most of the majors. I mean, we don't have spare airplanes sitting around very often. Right. I mean, I don't know what Acme's like or Acme Red, but I know in my carrier, you know, the, we just, when you break an airplane at the gate, unless you're at a, a really major hub like Dallas, mm. uh, I mean, the chances of getting a spare airplane are pretty slim because right. the utilization rate on the aircraft is, I mean, they're flying like 18 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Interestingly you know, enough, it, Harpjet have uh, a spare aircraft in quite a few of their major bases. Right. Um, uh, definitely where I am in, in Stansted, uh, not so much in the summer, but in the winter, we could have mm. up to six or seven. Uh, yeah. yeah, on a big operation, you're going to need, I mean, you think of the hundreds of, uh, but then it would be a, a day. Well, yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking that. of, of airlines that fly a single type versus airlines that fly multiple right. type. Mm. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Oh. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah. It's more difficult. I, I, I know of one one specific uh, airline here in the states that uh, flies uh, the Airbus product, um, and their their aircraft utilization is almost nineteen hours a day. Um, I'm not wow. going to uh, not going to say anything about the uh, airline other than it's painted in bright yellow. Um, but I've got <laughs> my best friend who is also captain over there, and they tend to run if if they run at all, they tend to run late. Uh, because the aircraft utilization is so high, and because of the you know the aircraft having tendency of, of having maintenance issues, hmm. um, and he it, it it's a frustrating point of, of of contention with him on a regular basis because uh, the aircraft tend to break on a regular basis, and we're hmm. talking about an Airbus, which is a pretty a pretty reliable aircraft overall. So I, that that lens to think that they're not maintaining them as well i'm not saying they're not i mean because i'm not at that airline i'm not overseeing um you know their operations but i don't think they maintain them quite as well as as you know you'd find at a main main line well, I, I, I think that's a, a a very brave statement to be honest with you dana i think there are many people who would strongly disagree with that but uh, um well they maintain to the FAA standards, that's all I'll say. Well, yeah, yeah, no fair point. Certainly put, not, put it this not way, unsafe. Uh, Matt, you can, uh, you can have an airline that keeps on top of the issues, and we always carry 
uh, perhaps one or two uh, defects that have been deferred. Uh, in other words, they've been they're going to sit on the aircraft, and the aircraft's going to continue to fly depending on the type of defect and how long mm -hmm. you can do that until the engineers can have a go at it. And the more of those you carry, the more likely that the aircraft's eventually going to have to spend a considerable amount of time uh, right. on the ground because. You know, you can only you've got to always have redundancy and backup. And when you've got a system that's out, you lose one more, and then the aircraft's stuffed so right, for yeah. a while until the, you fix it. So if you've got an airline that keeps those snags you carry down to an absolute minimum, the chances of you be able to continue to operate are much better. So that's where the level of engineering um, effort makes a big difference to the airline. If you carry a lot of snags, you're going to end up with airplanes going bust at the gate much more yeah. often. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, ju just at Meyer that we hire a similar number of engineers to the amount of cabin crew that we have at my particular base. Uh Wow. Which is wow. I'm surprised you don't have to do both duties. <laughs> <laughs> Get that wrench out, Owen. Yeah. You know, I think it was United fine this week. I think uh United, I think it was this week, got like a four hundred thousand dollar fine. They've been flying a, a seven eight seven around with uh, a right with a, a an item that had not been fixed that was supposed to have been fixed for like several weeks. Wow. And uh, so that that stuff does happen. I mean mm. But Nick's, what Nick was saying about, you know, the number of deferrals, I mean, uh, when I was a first officer on the A300, uh, we only had 34 of them. And right. uh, so they didn't get maintained sometimes, especially when we started parking them. And there was a time we were in Miami. I mean, we're looking at the deferral list on the airplane and the cap. we go to the gate and he tells the agent, the captain, that don't board because we don't know we're taking the airplane because there were so many deferrals on the airplane <laughs> that they start, they start to compile and they um, – multiply amongst themselves it becomes like yeah. an exponential they build on top of each yeah. other you know mm -hmm. how well, does this infer that one you know by themselves they're insignificant but you put like five or six of them together it's like and eh, no and it's the airlines that aren't being proactive about it that are going to eventually run out of uh, uh, out of money they're going to go bankrupt because uh, at the end of the day uh, engineering takes time time is money and uh, mm -hmm. if you keep compounding these these issues, they're going to multiply and uh, become more and more expensive. So it, in a lot of ways, it's cheaper to be very, very proactive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the passengers prefer it. Mm. Oh, definitely. <laughs> they like everything to work. Well, yeah. 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 And the yeah, pilots no. prefer it. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't care about the passengers. <laughs> yeah. I care about myself. No, Dana, you do care about the passengers. No, we get to the crash site first is the problem. I do, but it's more self about self-preservation. Because I've preserved myself every time I fly. Who is the most well, important passenger on the flight? The pilots. Yeah, <laughs> but speak, speak, speaking as the only person in this particular group who has never been anywhere near a cockpit, let alone sat in one, um, I, I quite like the idea you, of it. You not have. You have. You landed, you landed a 737. No, that was a simulator. That, 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 <laughs> that was a simulator. That doesn't I heard you put me to shame. No, no, absolute lies, absolute lies. That's <laughs> what it was. Yeah, but, damn uh, really well. Yeah, now speaking as a, as a humble passenger, we quite like everything to work as well. <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. Well, I think it might be time now for uh, one of the uh, best parts of our program, and that, of course, is the wonderful plane tales by the old pilot. Mm -hmm. 
The old pilot's plain tales, the ghost fleet. This is the BBC with John Snaggs reading. D-Day has come. Early this morning, the Allies began the assault on the northwestern face of Hitler's European fortress. The first official news came just after half past nine, when Supreme Headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force issued communique number one. It read, Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944, the tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. Planning for Operation Overlord began in earnest in 1943, when Dwight D. Eisenhower was made Supreme Commander. British General Bernard Montgomery, hero of the Eighth Army in North Africa, was put in charge of the ground troops. The heroism of the invasion armies cannot be understated, and it's not my intention to ignore them. But not many of us know what was going on in the air above the bloody beaches of Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword, or in the back rooms where boffins worked through the nights. Certainly there wasn't the same awful price paid in lives lost, but some unglamorous essential missions were being flown that would be crucial to the invasion. It was vital that everything possible should be done to divert the enemy's attention away from the real landing areas in Normandy, and a number of ploys were used in an attempt to present Calais as the actual location. Under the overall umbrella of Operation Bodyguard, several deceptions took place. A large number of non-existent units were invented, and their physical presence faked by the use of dummy aircraft, airfields, landing craft, and other infrastructure. Controlled leaks were made through diplomatic channels and via wireless traffic. German intelligence was fooled by the use of double agents, such as Juan Garcia, known as Garbo, a Catalonian who had been recruited by German intelligence. He sent them abundant but convincing disinformation from Lisbon in return for money, and eventually the Allies accepted his offer to work for them, so he ended up being paid by both sides. He created a network of 27 imaginary sub-agents, and the Germans unwittingly paid the British Exchequer large amounts of money regularly, thinking they were funding a network loyal to themselves. Garcia was awarded both the Iron Cross by the Germans and the MBE by the British. To divert attention from the real invasion force, however, also needed real-time deception, and the use of a newly developed electronic countermeasure, codenamed Window. Window, which nowadays we call Chaff, had been conceived in 1940 at the Telecommunications Research Establishment by Joan Curran, 
who suggested that metal strips cut to the frequency of a radar would reflect back a strong enough signal to either appear to be a target or perhaps completely swamp the receiver. Various metals, lengths and widths were used, but it was discovered that a simple oblong made from tin foil worked best. During the trials, thought was given to what the enemy might make of the metal strips, as they were bound to be discovered. It was suggested that they might be sandwiched between paper sheets printed with propaganda, like leaflets. Ultimately, however, the use of window was banned for a long time in an effort to protect the discovery, as Britain's radar system was a vital asset and it was equally vulnerable. As it turned out, however, Germany had already developed their own version of window, called Duppel. When Goering heard about the German trials, he was horrified, concerned that the British would discover the secret, and he immediately ordered all documents destroyed and work to cease, even attempts to develop a countermeasure. Having sat on the secret for four years, Operation Overlord was considered important enough to risk revealing window to the Germans, little knowing that they already had the technology. The invasion was considered so important that two of the best-trained RAF squadrons in existence were to be used employing window, 218 and 617, the famous dambusters. Their task was to create a huge decoy fleet sailing across the channel at a steady eight knots, which should look to the Germans' radar just like the real invasion fleet. They needed to keep up the deception for a full ten hours. This elaborate bit of spoofing was only part of an overall plan. The rest depended on leaving a few specific German radar sites operational to see the ghost fleet, whilst disabling the ones that might detect the real invasion. On the French coast was a formidable wall of radar stations, equipped with the whole menagerie of German ground radars. In the spring of 1944, the Scientific Intelligence Department had built up a comprehensive picture of the enemy coastal network, but this had to be kept continually updated, as mobile Freyer and Würzburg systems could be moved quickly and be operational in only a few hours. The department had developed a special ground direction finder, which could measure the bearing of an enemy radar beam to an accuracy of a quarter of a degree. Three of these sets, named ping-pongs, were located along the south coast, and they set about fixing the positions of the sites that they wanted to target. Once located, a recce aircraft would then photograph the location to confirm the position, and then an attack would be tasked. The RAF's 2nd Tactical Air Force was given the job, and they employed 12 Typhoons of 198 Squadron on the first attack. Approaching Ostend coast at height, as if they were after inland targets, the leading four aircraft peeled off and streaked in at treetop height, whilst the rest of the formation strafed the flak emplacements and surrounding buildings. The huge 130-foot Wasserman radar set was soon hit by 16 rockets, but it remained standing as if unaffected. Later in the day, the squadron made a second attack, but still the tower stood. 
it was soon discovered that the Achilles heel of the Wasserman Tower was that it had to be turned to a specific position before it could be lowered for repairs. The attack had damaged the turning mechanism, so it was stuck upright, and the only way to repair it was to laboriously dismantle the entire affair. The RAF soon found that the Mammut radar also had its weakness, a mass of feeder cables at the rear of the aerial that once damaged and repaired required a prolonged and tedious series of calibration flights by aircraft flying very specific patterns before it could operate again. The feeder cables only (laughs) needed to be strafed by small calibre machine guns to do sufficient damage to keep the set off the air for a long period. Prior to the invasion, the mosquitoes, spitfires and typhoons of the 2nd Tactical Air Force flew some 2,000 missions against the radar sites, putting all but 16 of the 92 out of operation. The 16 left working were those specifically chosen to be spoofed by the decoy fleet. In the lead-up to the evasion, 218 and 617 squadrons had been working intensively on the complicated and precise flying that they would have to achieve to turn their 250-mile-per-hour bombers into a vast but slowly steaming fleet. Clouds of window needed to be dropped in a very precise way to get lines of continuous blips only a few hundred yards apart. Eight aircraft were needed to create the two fleets that they were tasked with producing. They flew in two waves, flying in line abreast with two miles between each row of four bombers. The 8 by 2 mile pattern was flown at exactly 180 knots ground speed, and at the end of each 7 minute pattern they would extend forward by 1 mile, which meant that the actual pattern slowly progressed forwards 8 miles in 1 hour. During the long legs of the pattern, the crews dropped their window at a timed rate of 12 bundles per minute. To add a finishing touch, Other aircraft nearby were operating mandrel jammers, but allowing just enough gaps in their jamming coverage to let the German operators glimpse the ghost fleet. To add icing to the cake, a small fleet of RAF air-sea rescue launches were tasked with carrying moonshine jammers under the clouds of window. These jammers detected the German radar signals and sent back an amplified return to simulate the very large reflections that might come from a major vessel. Fourteen motorboats accompanied the RAF launches, towing large floats to which were attached special barrage balloons. Inside these naval balloons were nine-foot-wide radar reflectors, which produced an echo similar to a 10,000-ton ship. Just after midnight on the night of the invasion, this strange little fleet made its way to sea and turned on their equipment. Very soon, the operators received signals from German radar sites and the game was on. Over these two little fleets, the Lancasters and Stirlings wove their complicated patterns, guided by G radio beacon receivers. One of the 617's crew members recalled, At the time, I was a bit concerned about what the Germans would do when they saw us. We knew that we were bait and expected just about every night fighter in creation to roll up. 
Our Lancaster was full of window from nose to tail. If we were forced down, there would be little chance of us getting out. When the ghost fleets arrived at their stop lines, ten miles from the coast, the balloon floats were moored and naval launches then laid smoke screens behind which they broadcast the sounds of big vessels dropping their anchors with the appropriate squeals, rattles and splashes. With their deception work done, everyone hightailed it out of there and back to England. Meanwhile, an airborne armada of heavily laden aircraft filled with airborne troops and towing assault gliders was slowly flying towards the French coast. These 1,069 aircraft, most of which were completely unarmed, would have presented a perfect target to the German night fighters. Even if only a few fighters had got amongst the lumbering streams, they would have wrought havoc. The RAF took every possible precaution to distract the Luftwaffe away on that vital night. Twenty-four Lancasters and five flying fortresses were busy flying down the line of the River Somme, whilst the rear crews shoveled out clouds of window for all they were worth. The impression given would have resembled a massive bomber force that should have attracted every fighter within range. The night fighters would soon have realised that the raid was a ghost had they been able to communicate properly with their ground stations, but on every aircraft of the ghost force were special equipment operators intently working their airborne cigar jamming transmitters. That night, a total of 82 ABC transmitters were airborne, ensuring that the entire spectrum of German night fighter communication frequencies was swamped. In addition, ground-based jammers were positioned on the English coast so that should any fighter accidentally discover the airborne invasion force, they would be unable to report their location. The invasion area itself was a veritable powerhouse of jamming to defeat any radar sets that might have survived the attacks of the previous weeks. There was nothing subtle about this, and it was the equivalent of throwing pepper into the enemy's eyes. In the event, the Ghost Fleet was a very successful ploy, with the coastal batteries opening up with radar-controlled guns, and e-boats were ordered to intercept. I wondered what they would have thought when all they found was a line of balloons moored off the coast. The rest of the story is history. Once the Normandy beachhead was established, no power at Hitler's command could dislodge them. However, had the Germans had unhindered use of their powerful network of radar stations, the many defenders whose bravery was beyond question, would have reacted much more violently. The Allied lives thus saved made the whole operation a success. Such was the level of confusion created that even after the news of the Normandy landings was reported, the defenders were convinced it was a feint and they continued to wait for the main assault to come. You are such a great storyteller, Captain Nick. Unbelievable. Oh, I could tell all sorts of stories. My wife will confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much. As usual, you're very kind. Um, let me ask you, did anyone recognize the intro kind of effect? The, it wasn't music. It was the, the drums. Drums. Um, yeah. But from like know a, what that is? Was that from I a movie? That, that sounds like uh, the uh, a certain Shakespearean play that should not be named. No, no. It was, uh, the, the soundtrack to uh, BBC did a, a story, uh, uh, did a reading of that, and uh, it sounded like a soundtrack of that. Uh, no, it was uh, the BBC played that uh, during all their broadcasts as an introduction of their broadcasts uh, during the war. And oh, wow. uh, in, in Morse code, that drum beat uh, is V for victory. So, uh, wow, that is very cool. So that is actually a little sneak of uh, the BBC actual, um, their broadcast uh, drums. And um, it was also the uh, um, fifth, uh, Beethoven's fifth symphony, if you think about it. Yeah, there you go. They used to play some of that as well. But uh, yeah, that was was the intro. But I love that. Uh, I, I was fascinated by that story. I've got a great book. Um, which I think, Jeff, you could perhaps put a little bit of information about that in the show notes, called The Instruments of Darkness by Alfred Price. And I know uh, some of our listeners are always looking for an, a good book to read, mm-hmm. and uh, Instruments of Darkness is all about the electronic warfare um, battle that went on during the war and uh, after. It's wow. such a creative uh, battle, you know, creative engineering there. Oh yeah, and uh, there were there were f- only a very few boffins, and they were all working right at the limit of their uh, knowledge because it was also damn new to them. Uh, yeah, that uh, all, all these electronic um, jamming and countermeasures and counter countermeasures that really set up the uh, the world. And of course, uh, Colonel Jeff knows all about uh, working in an ECM environment uh, when he's a fighter, uh, and the uh, I flew many a, a trip trying to shoot down jamming aircraft and uh, all the uh, tricks and things we learned to cope with it. But during the war, it was uh, it was amazing that they managed to, uh, um, you know, develop this stuff so quickly. Mm. I, my uncle is probably very grateful that uh, he survived D-Day probably because of all that jamming that was done by those guys. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm mm-hmm. very glad he did. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, again, um, fascinating plain tales. Thank you, Captain Nick, for all the hard and work. And we're just that. coming up to the anniversary because, of course, the uh, those jamming missions were flown uh, sort of the midnight on the fifth of June. So, uh, oh, wow. Huh. The invasion was on the sixth. So, just coming up to the anniversary. Wow. We'll have to uh, toast that in uh, New York City on uh, Monday mm-hmm. the fifth. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm. Well, before we... uh, Even though I was invited, even if I wasn't working, I'd come up and see you guys. Well, you don't need an invitation. Everybody's invited. Just got to be in the social media, and that's where we talk about all this stuff. And that's a good... uh, um, you know, uh, reminder to everybody, uh, you can follow us on APG crew and, uh, Facebook and, uh, Twitter and Slack and all that kind of stuff, especially Slack. We, uh, discuss meetups and stuff like that. So, um, and Jeff, can I clear, can I clarify something real quick? Yes. 
I regret saying something earlier that oh, I don't care about passengers, and that's actually not the truth. Oh, we knew that you were. We <laughs> didn't the, tr the truth is, is I care very much about the passengers, but it's self-preservation that comes number one. Right. In the, yeah, exactly. So that's, I, that's I very much. Care I, about I think everybody understood that, that uh, mm, if, if yeah, we're, yeah. if we're taking care of ourselves and we're comfortable with the safety of the uh, operation, then everybody uh, behind us on the other side of the cockpit door should be say, yeah, feel that way as well. It follows. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. You mm. bunch of heartless, uncaring <laughs> pilots. Shut up, passenger. <laughs> yeah. uh, the truth comes out. <laughs> we're we're not, just locked behind that nice bomb-proof door. We don't care what We're not. Either. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's just, just cabin, cabin crew and passengers for themselves, I think, basically. That's yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we just always get there first. <laughs> yeah. Good luck, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd like to do this last piece of feedback before we go. I know we're running long here, but uh, I think it's important that we uh, discuss this. Uh, meant to talk about it in the last show, but uh, didn't have time. And we're going to make time for it this uh, show. And this is uh, sent to us by a couple different people. Um, uh, Michael Wall said he saw this today and thought, um, you know, we should talk about it. And also Nikki from Finland wrote in and said, uh, attached is a link to an interesting article about an incident involving a Qantas A330. The article concentrates on the relationship between pilot and a fly-by-wire plane. And I think that really it's it's more and this is me speaking uh, more of a not necessarily a fly by wire plane, but uh, the interface between human and computer probably would be more accurate. I would like to hear what Nick's take uh, is on the article. He has received or has he received any training regarding a scenario where the brain of the plane goes haywire? And why didn't the pilots revert to alternate law? Is that even possible? I don't want to make this an Airbus, Airbus bash. Please be reminded that most modern planes now are fly-by-wire. And so the article, um, well, a couple different articles, one from, uh, let's see, theage.com.au and one from the Daily Mail. And Oh, well, if it's, if it's the UK's Daily Mail, it must be true. Yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the the title is the untold story of QF or Qantas Flight seventy two. What happens when psycho automation leaves pilots powerless? For the first time, the captain of the imperiled Qantas Flight seventy two reveals his horrific experience of automation's dark side when one computer went psycho and put more than three hundred passengers at risk. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite a, I mean, it's a great article the way it's written. It's um, uh, not necessarily like a, a news article, but it's more of a, uh, like a drama. But um, uh, let's see, let me try to get to some of the uh, pertinent parts of the article. Um, hmm. Well, Nick, I think that you could probably do a better job than I. Um, explaining what happened in this flight, this Qantas flight um, uh, coasting in off the uh, Western Australia coast, and uh, you know what uh, the implications of it are. Yeah, I, I took a look at this, Jeff, because um, I mean I read some of this article, and I hope 
that uh, Captain Kevin, Kevin Sullivan, who was the skipper on board, and I think he's now retired. Um, I hope this aren't, isn't his own words, because if it is, it's, it's just jazzed up beyond belief. So to quote here in the article, eight years after QS-72 dived sorry, towards the ocean, the top gun pilot, nicknamed Sully, um, has broken his silence. We're in an out-of-control airplane. We're all juiced up by our own bodies because we thought we're in a near-death situation and we've got to be rocket scientists to figure out how we can go in there and land the plane outside of any established procedure. So, you know, I'm going, oh, give me a break. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, what had happened was um, the aircraft, and this is, I'll try and condense a very long uh, and complicated. And how long ago was this? This occurred in report. like 2008 or something? Yeah, 7th of October 2008. And uh, the aircraft uh, was just heading out over the uh, ocean at 37,000 feet. And uh, they started getting uh, a few problems with, and we've mentioned these, the in, uh, inertial reference unit. And it's, it's a combined unit in the Airbus, so it has air data coming into it, as well as having uh, the sort of uh, inertial uh, gyroscopes. Uh, anyway, they, they were started becoming, uh, they had a fault with one of them. Um, and... Um, before they could really work out what happened, uh, the aircraft uh, received a two-second pitch-down uh, command, um, which uh, uh, resulted in, uh, because it was about 0.8 of a negative G, resulted in everything that was not attached to the uh, floor of the cabin uh, flying up to the ceiling. And uh, when the uh, pitch-down ceased, of course, everything fell back down to the floor again, and it caused quite a lot of injuries in the back of the aircraft. So, uh, I mean, um, about a third of the passengers were injured. Um, there were some received broken limbs, so they obviously classified as serious injuries. So um, 12 uh, crew members were injured, um, and 12 total were seriously injured, and another 39 received hospital medical treatment. Now, if you go through severe turbulence, that's that's a reasonably similar number to say an aircraft that's gone through bad turbulence. But um, the um, the fact is that they make it sound like the computers uh, had gone haywire, but it was just I won't say it's just a fault, but it, it was a fault that could have happened to lots of different types of aircraft. And uh, to say that the computer went psycho is is just <laughs> making a joke out of it, really. So th the fault occurred, and we're all pretty aware of this now, particularly after the Air France A330 incident, where they had uh, a momentary freezing of the angle of attack indicators and subsequently lost control of the aircraft. So this was a similar sort of thing, but they had a faulty feed from one of the angle of attack indicators. Uh, now, normally, um, when you get a problem like this, um, the if it's a if it's a gross error, the other two or the, the flight control computers will vote out uh, an erroneous signal from an angle of attack indicators because it's got three to look at. And it goes, well, these two are indicating this, and this one is indicating something wildly different. That one must be out, so I'll kick it off. But um, th this was an incredibly 
rare uh, and had never occurred fault with this angle of attack indicator. So it was sending spikes of very high angle of attack indication, all of which were erroneous, um, at exactly a rate of 1.2 seconds. Now, that just happened to be the memory rate uh, of the uh, flight control computer. So if you get an erroneous input, the flight control computer said, well, I'm not going to do anything for 1.2 seconds to see uh, and give me a chance to analyze it. But uh, because it got a spike and then nothing happened, and then it got another spike exactly 1.2 seconds later, um, it decided that this was a real input and it entered a protection mode, which is there designed to stop the aircraft from stalling. So what it did was the equivalent of on your aircraft, Jeff, and most other T-tailed aircraft, of um, having a stick pusher. And for those who don't know, they, if you get an aircraft with a T-tail, you definitely don't want to go anywhere near a stall. So if you approach a stall, uh, a mechanical device pushes the stick full forward, um, more or less against the instrument panel. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Jeff. But um, And it basically pitches the aircraft forward out of the stall. And the Airbus has a similar protection to prevent you from going into a stall. And that, that's what was activated. The, uh, the flight control computers uh, uh, thought that this angle of attack indication uh, was correct. And um, it didn't vote this... Um, ADR out of the system, so it entered its stall protection, which was to pitch the airplane down. Um, now, uh, the uh, it, it's obviously incredibly rare fault, and the engineers hadn't actually anticipated this ever happening, which is why there was um, no protection for that particular sequence of faults in the system. Um, now, normally, the flight control computer algorithm is incredibly effective. Um, for example, they'd had previous uh, spikes uh, from faulty areas that had all been successfully filtered out. Um, but uh, in this one, because of the timing of the sequence of faults, it, it wasn't. So um, it got to a 10-degree nose-down elevator command. Um, the... Uh, um, the Reaction of the aircraft was moderated by the fact that it was only one anniversary that was giving the fault, um, but uh, it was still obviously quite violent in the aircraft. Um, now, uh, the board mentioned the fact that this was the only uh, failure they'd have at this type in uh, 28 million flying hours. So uh, it only ever happened once, and it's now been modified out of the out of the flight control computer logic. So that particular fault couldn't happen again. And th th the whole concept of this, uh, the way this article is written, is what kind of has upset me because it makes it sound like um, the flight control computers had gone bananas. Um, it wasn't. They received a false input. They, uh, because of the sequence, they didn't analyze it correctly, and they activated a system that was supposed to be there to uh, save the aircraft.
Um, and uh, they make it sound like um, the aircraft was about to crash. Well, even in its worst possible case, there was no way the aircraft was going to crash if this had occurred closer to the ground. In fact, they they did trials. Uh, um, if that high angle of, angle of attack protection um, has no effect below 500 feet, for example, as you're on the approach. And um, flight simulations showed that an undesired pitch down above 500 feet would be easily recovered, as it was by this crew. It happened once. Uh, they then recovered from it. Uh, the faults continued to occur, and it happened about 20 minutes later a second time, uh, much less violently. But uh, again, uh, the crew uh, recovered from it. But they were just, uh, um, the captain explains, completely confused by what the aircraft was doing. Um, nowadays, uh, if we had any concerns and we wanted to push the aircraft into uh, alternate or direct law, we'd just uh, turn off some of the uh, ADRs, and that would force it into um, uh, alternate law, and then you've got direct control of the aircraft and any automatic inputs are removed. But, um, I mean, presumably this information has been analysed and, and they've now sort of corrected whatever it was that made the computer react in that way. I mean... Yes, or, they have. Yeah, so... Yeah. So this article, that my 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 complaint, as it, as it were, my my concern about this article uh, makes it sound like there the, any fly-by-wire aircraft uh, with a computer flying it um, is likely to go haywire, and people have their own computers at home and they do go haywire, uh, but because um, they don't look after them or the software is crap. But on an aircraft, there are so many protections, and yeah. the fact that that it took twenty. 8 million flying hours for this one uh, to occur, and the fact that it's now immediately been modified out of the uh, uh, um, the flight control computer software um, just shows how, how rare they are. I have a question yeah. for you, Captain Nick. I couldn't tell sure. from the article. Um, did After all this occurred, did they leave it in whatever law? It, um, was the law degraded from normal to alternate or direct uh, during this whole incident or was it did it stay in in normal law uh i haven't been able to well, that's not a question i really studied in okay. it so it would, i'm not absolutely certain i'm just wondering if, if it were me it seems like my natural reaction would say i the computer system is doing something weird obviously that i don't like i'm going to force it um as you mentioned turning off some of the um uh, I forgot what the, the acronym was that you used to uh, to well, manually. Well, what we do is we turn off two of the um, adderers, uh, you know, the editor okay. ed, ed in initial reference units that forces it in. Um, we, we, obviously, then you're you're obviously going to be diverting as this this guy did. Right, right. Um, they they did get a a, a whole myriad of uh, other warnings which occurred because of the confusion that was. Um, happening with these false indications. So they got overspeed and stall warnings. Uh, they got flight control computer uh, faults. They got a, a prune one fault came up. Uh, but I don't think they, I don't know if they ever got as far as turning the prune off. Yeah. Um, they did take the autopilot out and hand through the airplane, which is absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's fine and beautiful. That was but, basically uh, my question. I, I, I want, you know, at least control uh, as much as I could exert yeah. control over. Well, that's exactly know. right. But uh, uh, certainly 
um, when this first happened, the uh, the automatic um, pitch down that occurs when you get high angle of attack is the same as your um, your stick pusher. You can't override it. Well, we we you can if you can if there's a certain amount of force that you can exert on it and over. In fact, that's the uh, the uh, uh, what was the thirty four oh seven? I'm trying to read the um, starts with a C. The uh, Colgan Colgan thirty four oh seven. The the whole um, catalyst for the fifteen hundred hour rule, etc. Was a situation where the stick pusher was engaged and he overrode the the stick uh, pusher and right. um, yeah but uh w- what happens in most airplanes is that the stall warning system um goes off first and then if nothing is done and the angle of attack continues to increase then if the airplane is so equipped with a stick shake uh, stick pusher system then yes the control column is moved you know basically full forward to uh you know get the uh, pitch of the aircraft down and um, lessen the angle of attack so the airplane can you know begin flying again but um, you know your point is well taken it's the same kind of not exactly but very similar no. to the same kind of it's uh, the same concept system yeah it's a, it's a system to keep the airplane from stalling and, yeah, uh, and once you uh, once you go into alternate law, if you, if the prim uh, if they turn the prim off, the aircraft would have gone to alternate law. Some of those protections remain. If you want to take them out completely, you force the airplane into direct law, and then you will still get stall warning, but it'll just be a warning. You'll have to take your own action to recover the aircraft. So this these articles were kind of prefaced. Uh, this guy. Um, s- several years after this incident occurred, decided that he is going to tell his story now, I guess, because he's now he retired. Um, what, what do you think the point of all this is as far as, you know, his personal, uh, reasons for, for doing this? Is this kind of a, I didn't do anything wrong and anybody questioning what I did in this flight? you know, you're wrong about this or something. Well, maybe he feels like he never really got an opportunity to literally put his side of the story forward to the public. And he's using this as an opportunity to do exactly that. I think he's uh, going to sell a book. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. That's, that's, I think <laughs> that's might it. not be quite enough. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. You, you just have to read the, the way in, in which this is jazzed up the way this yeah. is written mm-hmm. to go. This is not some guy, uh, analyzing what happened on his flight. Yeah. And, it's not quite uh, a report. Is it? No, it's, uh, it's all about, uh, it, it's written as if this is a story and he wants to sell lots of books. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, books about aircraft incidents, are great sellers. So he'll probably sell a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I personally, um, uh, don't like the bloke. Well, there Fair you go. He's, yeah. He's a but an American like, uh, like, U.S. Navy guy, so you know what is there to like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't even get that far. I assumed yeah. he was an Australian. No, he was. Uh, uh, they thought he was Canadian because he was so nice, but uh, oh, really? actually, he was from the. No, I'm serious. They say that in the article. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But uh, but like but, it or not, uh, like him or not, uh, this this incident is something that highlights just how important yeah. that a pilot is. Uh, and how important the relationship between pilot and automation is in any aircraft in any flight. You're quite uh, right, and, but yep. the Being most competent is uh, is is wear your seatbelts because almost <laughs> yeah, well, all of the yeah, injuries yeah. occurred 
from people uh, who weren't wearing those seats. That's what screams yeah. out to me now. And of course, I mean, we can't, you know, especially long haul flying, we can't always, and especially <laughs> people like Owen, we, you know, uh, they don't have the opportunity to be seated <laughs> with the seatbelt fastened the entire flight. But those of us who are paying passengers, we do. And there are times, of course, during the flight that we need to get up and stretch our legs, use the restroom, uh, the toilet, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but um, I think that uh, that's what was really screaming out to me was that, you know, it, whether it be clear air turbulence, whether it be thunderstorms, yeah. whether it be something that the airplane just kind of goes out of control, as in this situation, you need to have that seatbelt on. You know, that's mm. what's going to keep you safe. That's exactly right. Although they did uh, note in the um, in the the inquiry that a number of seatbelts had, had opened themselves during the oh. um, the maneuver, and That's they said good. because people were wearing them so slack uh. that the seatbelt um, lever that uh, you flip open right. to release yeah. it had managed to catch on part of the uh, seat, and uh, as the people yeah. rose up, so they opened their own seatbelt. So when you do put your seatbelt on, if you're sitting in your chair, don't have it hanging absolutely loose, because one, you could either slide out of it or it could open itself. But you don't have to have it clinched up so that it's cutting you in half. But no, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's one thing that I do uh, make a point about in my cabin secure checks, is that if someone is wearing it with their seatbelt, like, fully extended and they, they don't need it to be fully extended then uh i i will tell them to 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 fasten there's you know to to make sure it's secure to, yeah because there's no point in wearing it and especially especially uh a lot of parents will leave the the belts quite loose on their their kids and uh especially kids who who very very easily slip out of uh, uh, a loose seat belt uh, it's not exactly the safest thing to be doing. No, absolutely right. And of course, a lot of other injuries were caused by the fact that people flying around because they didn't have their seatbelts on subsequently yeah. landed on people who weren't mm -hmm. flying around. They they'd done the sensible thing, get their least belt, yeah. yep. their black belts on, but some twenty stone fat man landed on them and hurt them. In those sort of situations, no, no, no matter what you, you know, if, if you're not strapped in, no matter how heavy you are, no matter how, how big you are, you're just going to become a flying, uh, or just a, a projectile. Mm, a projectile. A huge projectile. Yeah. You have a large projectile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, physics won't allow you to stay I, where you I, are. I, I prefer the term cuddly. Um, <laughs> a cuddly projectile. Well, oh yes, cuddly, yeah. they're the best kind. Well, they are the best. Kind. Speaking of cuddly uh, co-hosts, um, I'm I'm watching as we're discussing this, and it's getting quite late in the UK, and I see a lot of uh, uh, eyes being rubbed and uh, yawns being stifled, etc. And uh, Carlos, yes, I'm talking, you know, Carlos is sound asleep. Probably. Oh gosh, it's only like one thirty in the morning, right? Yeah, so yeah. thanks Jeez. so much for... Uh, We've been commenting on Carlos's head, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so it is time, finally, to uh, end the show. Thanks so much for my uh, very gracious co-hosts to uh, uh, join us this evening, especially our special co-hosts from the PTUK podcast. of uh, Owen and... Carlos and Matt. You mean you actually invited them? They didn't just yeah. butt well, their way in? Yeah, sort oh, of. Kind of <laughs> we kind of like oh, date crashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wedding crashers. 
Thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you so much. It really, uh, really made a difference on our show today. And uh, we, we do appreciate you and your great show. And uh, thanks for, for joining us on this one. It a was difference for the better or a difference? <laughs> well, I'm not going to really say. No, no, no. no. It made a difference. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, a real honor, Jeff. Thank you very much for allowing us to be part of your great show. So thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, it really is. Dana is well uh, applauding um, very, very uh, voraciously or vociferously, whichever <laughs> word applies in this case. And, uh, why do why do they all sound like venereal diseases? I, I, it, that was really <laughs> by design, actually, it's designed that way. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, uh, anyway, if you want to learn more about the airline pilot guy show, uh, please head to our great website again. Our webmaster uh, Rosh Mahin uh, is, has created that, and uh, he's done such a wonderful job. So you can find out more about the show, the crew, um, all kinds of stuff over there. So check that out. Also, we have. Um, uh, apps um, for both the iOS and Android platforms. You can find information about that on the website as well. And now Dr. Steph is going to tell us about social media. I am. Um, you can find us on Twitter at APG Crew. Posted at the top, there is a pinned tweet with all of our individual Twitter handles if you have a specific question for one of us. Um, but otherwise, you can find all of us together there. You can also go over to Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And Captain Nick will mostly entertain you there. Although occasionally the rest of us do post stuff there too. So um, that is uh, it I, first. I just delete that. You delete. If you post anything, I delete it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all I, I figured there was something going on when I couldn't find any of my posts to the Facebook page, but. Now I know. So um, yeah, HR will be it's uh, on that. It's mine. Mine. <laughs> HR has noted uh, <laughs> this and there will be reprimands handed out. Yes. Now look here, you lot. Pack it, pack it in. Behave yourselves or I'll bang your heads together. All right. There you <laughs> go. What in the world does well, that I think mean? We need to hear about black. So moving bang on. Bang my wrists together. <laughs> you know, bang their heads together. Oh, like, okay. Is it like not heads, the, yeah, heads yeah, Dana. Yeah, heads, yeah, yeah. yeah. Heads. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're it's saying, it's a British get the wrong thing. idea there. You're saying stuff. <laughs> Slack. Slack. APG listeners, if you want to be part of our Slack team, please send an email address on Twitter to me, Hillel, H-I-1-1-E-1. Over on Slack, we plan events. We plan meetups. We talk about the episodes. We gather feedback. If you want to be part of the team, send me a tweet. See you there. Thank you, Hillel. Really I haven't huh? done that. I really need to do that. You do need to do that. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's great. Uh, so Hello, you will be receiving communications from me forthwith. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as always, we so appreciate uh, those of you who download the show, listen to the show, watch it on YouTube, and uh, especially those of you who participate in our live recordings in our chat room. Um, everybody out there, again, as we always say, we couldn't do it without you. And again, thank you, Owen, Carlos, Matt, Dana, Dr. Steph, Colonel Jeff, Captain Nick, for making this a great show. And until next time, wishing you clear yeah, well skies. Soon, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Wishing yes. you clear. <laughs> I'm, 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 I think I've, I've made it through, and hopefully next uh, time I'll have a better voice. Oh, thank you. Yay! Yeah. yeah, is that Yay. contagious through the? Through yes, the it hangout? is. So okay. you'll you experience it in about a day and a half. Excellent. Sorry. Uh, um, as always, uh, thank you, Jeff, for uh, um, 
basically making this wonderful community happen mm-hmm. and uh, bring us together every week. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, you're Thank welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's all my pleasure, for sure. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Woohoo! Bye, everybody. Bye, Good guys. night, y'all. Good night. Thank you. Good night, y'all. Good night, y'all. Good day. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy